0: If you had the power of mind control, how long do you think it would take for you to devolve into something that would be considered an aberration? Two seconds.
1: What do you mean if? (laughs) I knew it, Adam. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how you got so many people on this podcast? For free, I might add. Like, (laughs) nobody get paid.
2: He's going to mind wipe us now. And so we're going to forget that we're not getting paid and like, (laughs) oh, I get paid so much to do this.
1: Yeah. You guys, you guys, did you get your checks this week? Yeah, it's good. Um, Well, I'm clearly famous, right? (laughs) Obviously. I just Um, want to be
2: famous enough that people will recognize my face if I go to a panel. That's all I want in life. There
1: you go. What, What kind of panel? Like, hi, my name is Megan and I've been on Alcoholic. Yes. Yeah, that, that count? Wait, well, hey, we remember you from last week. Does so that say you're famous now?
2: That counts. That's counts enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> but no, it would take me like three seconds because if I have, if I, I know I am one of those people that if I end up with any form of power, I will divulge into the ultimate villain within as soon as I realize I have that ability. Absolutely. Okay,
0: I am definitely sending sending this to your management team so that they know.
2: Oh, they know. <laughs> They absolutely already know.
1: Um, I feel like the fact that that Dan is not, you know, bending under my will as we speak goes to show that uh, like, I let him go from the podcast. So I had absolute power over someone and decided not to use it. So I must be a good guy, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh... I don't think you're an example. I need the rule this. I need this. But sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Kyle? Well, oh, I want to say that I would never go mad with power, but I mean, honestly, I think I would pretty quick.
1: Yeah, right. Like, but but like, what what level of mad with power? Mm, like we're just talking telepathy, right? Like you can read people's minds.
2: Yeah, well, more Worked like mind control. It was the mind control
0: mind that mind control, me. right? Yeah, like that's that that's the general theme of the monsters that we're doing today. So you know, right? Like uh, they can basically basically make slaves of other people. And I mean, I would be sitting on a golden throne pretty quick if I had the opportunity.
1: <laughs> I would I'm not gonna lie. I would use my power only to skip lines. and that would be like my that would be the thing that I do. Anything more than that, oh, is probably evil. so i would I would put that artificial boundary for myself so that as long as it's skipping a lineup or less, it's okay. But the moment that i I turn to someone and say, "Hey, have an existential crisis because I don't like your face. Now I'm evil, right? Like that's. Yeah.
2: That's the difference between you and I. <laughs> <laughs> that right there.
1: Megan, Megan, <laughs> the day you become truly evil, and I don't mean just this like like local warlord that you are now, but I mean Fair. like a tyrannical despot. The mm-hmm. moment you become that, I'm sending Dan after you to, to bring you back down again because he will just hug it better.
2: Ugh. Oh my God. Yeah, so there's
1: there's your threat that's going to keep you in line.
2: <laughs> a hug from Dan. <laughs> <laughs> this is the ultimate threat.
0: <laughs> I think that says more about Dan's hygiene than it does
1: about Megan. Yeah, I was going to say the ultimate <laughs> threat is a hug from Dave for different reasons. Oh.
2: Yeah. <laughs> if Dave hugged me, I didn't. I don't think I would know what to do. I would. I would. I think I would internally panic. <laughs> yeah.
1: You would oh, my get, God, you am I dying? Lost... Do I have
0: cancer and
2: nobody told me? <laughs> <laughs>
1: you you would get lost in the uh, overwhelming scent of the woods and the warm, scratchy feeling of a beard. That's fair. Oh, my God. Whenever you're ready to start this fucking nonsense, man.
3: hmm
4: Welcome to the It's a Mimic podcast, where you never know what you're going to get.
2: Welcome to another It's a Mimic episode where we continue our conversation on Monsters in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. I'm Megan and with me today are Kyle and Adam and this episode is called Aberrations, Pitching a Tentacle.
0: In this episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, this panel of Dungeon Masters is going to sit down and look at a handful of very gnarly aberrations that sit at the beginning of Tier 3, but have the potential to completely wreck an unaware party. So stay way back and do your best to avoid these horrifying creatures with a focus on tentacles, terror, and terrible attitudes.
1: But before we get started, I wanted to ask you guys... Have you ever run into one of these in a campaign before? Let's uh, Uh, grab dice.
2: Rolling, yeah, okay. I I just—I got
1: a one. I also got a one.
2: Oh, I got a 13.
1: Megan's going first. Roll off, Kyle. All right. I got an eight. I got a seven. All right, so Kyle, you're going last. Megan, you ever run into one of these?
2: Weirdly enough, abilets seem to be very common in games that I play in. They they seem to just turn up here, there, or everywhere,
1: you know? <laughs> I have never used an with you guys. <laughs> um Are you telling me that you play other Dungeons and Dragons? With other I was people? about to
2: say, are you about to cry? <laughs> Did I just set off some emotions?
1: Greater. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you play it's like that whole relationship conversation of like you've dated people before me. Mm-hmm. How dare you? Yes, yes, you are a current DM. There have been other DMs in my life. Sorry.
1: That's how I'm going to start referring to. I'm going to tell me you are current fiance.
2: (laughs) Please don't ever do that. (laughs) Because you're going to tell her who told you to do that. You're going to say it was Megan and I will be dead.
1: (laughs) You damn well know I'm going to tell her
0: it was Dave. Also, that sentence will quickly be followed by no longer
1: fiance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah you fucked up. <laughs> yeah. You've run into a lot of aboliths though.
2: So. Yeah. And like, it's just like, it's it, usually the mind control and that kind of stuff makes it frustrating to use and be around. Like, um, yeah. Like other than that, like, um, I know we're going to talk about, uh, more costs and like that kind of stuff today. And like, I haven't really run into the big, big bad ones. Cause I find that they tend to be more very large storyline driven. Whereas I found like abelis I've seen just randomly or like how we've encountered but never actually dealt with kind of thing if that makes sense. Yep. But but yeah.
1: Um I have actually made you guys fight a, a Balhanath as well. Although you probably didn't recognize it because we were using a Roper Mini.
2: Yeah. I feel like in, in my mind, when I was like looking into it, I was like, I feel like this sounds familiar, but I don't know it enough to say, yes, this has happened and occurred.
1: Yeah. You guys were level 13, and Dan's like, oh, it's a Roper, but it's on the ceiling. And then it just fucked your world and it almost ate Locky. Um, fucked our world. <laughs> and uh when you guys killed it it actually caved in the ceiling and the you guys made a whole bunch of rolls to get out of the way and you rolled really well and managed to to not get buried by the rubble or get eaten by this thing but it was uh it was close he was wrapped up in tentacles and kind of bludgeoned for a while
2: such a great time
1: i really liked the bahana of of the three of them that's my favorite one just dropped in the middle of a of a campaign just out of nowhere here here's a random encounter that is going to fucking eat your horse yeah
0: it, it's pretty great because you can like plug and play it in a lot of areas right yeah it doesn't need a whole lot of backstory it doesn't need a whole lot of intro to it
1: yeah it's it's a mouth with tentacles and that's kind of it's beautiful simplicity mm. and it's so much more than a than a roper is mm. Kyle, have you ever run in any of these uh i have both faced and used in
0: an aboleth but the other ones i haven't but to be honest i'm going to keep them in my back pocket for now because i do really like them i also really like the Morkoth.
1: it's just yes we had a question like a mailbag question or something like oh god two two and a half years ago when i think morden cannons first came out and they're like hey how do you guys ever use a Morkoth? and dan I looked at you and like a what we yeah don't. what fuck no and we moved on, and then, and then, like a week later after we recorded, I went, "I'm curious," and that's why we're doing this episode is because we had that question two and a half years ago.
2: Yeah, it does so. feel very space jammery. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. feels like that's what. It, yeah, but I mean, I digress.
1: <laughs> when you need a Jammery in your space, you use a more Um, Yeah. The
2: worst part is that it is a tentacle monster, and I hate that.
1: <laughs> They're all tentacle monsters, and that's what's so beautiful about this episode. <laughs>
2: Oh my it's goodness. also why
1: why James is not on this episode because it'd get it'd get bad quickly.
2: It would get yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Thanks for that grace, Adam.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
4: Strategically done.
2: Okay, well, before we get deeper into it, let's cut to an ad break.
4: We've previously covered quite a bit in our discussion on monsters in Fifth Edition. For all of those episodes and more, you can follow or subscribe at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and dozens of other podcast apps. And if you'd like to support us, you can donate through the website, check out our store, or join our Patreon and get access to other episodes and series. If you'd like to pay for some ad space on It's Mimic or just send a shout out to a friend, please reach out to us through our email and website that are listed in the show notes below.
1: Before we go any further, I just want to thank Acid Dialogue for becoming our most recent patron. I've enjoyed talking with you on Reddit and it's great to have you in the Patreon Discord now. As for what else is going to be released this week, normally it would be time for another campaign builder, but there's been a scheduling snafu on our end, so we're going to have to bump it by a couple of weeks. But we're not going to leave all the patrons high and dry. First off, for brass tier and above, we've got another random episode of Legend Lore Online where I'm going to dig into the latest three D&D Beyond releases and whether or not they're worth your time and effort and money for one of them. For Copper Tier and above, though, dudes don't worry, we haven't forgotten about you, we'll be releasing a bonus rant that Jeff and I just happened to catch on mic about the state of 5th edition right now. Um, This is one of the few glimpses behind the scenes at how we really feel, and it's going to go largely unedited. And for everyone else, there will be a very special episode on our regular channels where I sit down with one of our Platinum Tier patrons and spend a couple of hours building a dungeon with him. But for now, let's get back to the episode.
2: We're going to be talking about three different aberrations. We all have our own little one that we're going to talk about today. So, I mean, we might as well get right into it. So let's roll some dice, find out who gets to go first.
4: Oh,
1: yeah. Eight. Fourteen.
2: I got a twelve. Oh so, right. you are first. What do you got for us? I am
1: going first with the second monster from the Monster Manual, because it's an alphabetical order. So, um, I'm talking about aboliths, and aboliths are, in my opinion, the most underpowered, underutilized, and uh, under-realized monsters. And they are, I think, what should be the big bad evil guys of Dungeons & Dragons. More so than a lich, or even a dragon, I think... The lore behind an Aboleth is uh, so overwhelmingly cosmic and amazing that it belies the CR10 large creature that it is. Absolutely. This, and I've seen Aboleths that have been published in 5th edition, and it just feels underwhelming. They seem to be almost just dungeon denizens as opposed to tyrannical you know, monsters uh, that are running their own empires every one of them should be like a god but let me get into it about why because i think that these guys are poised to be the perfect campaign villains and i would absolutely love the last module of fifth edition to get published the last adventure book and it turns out that they are behind the tomb of annihilation and the curse of straw they're the ones that curse straw they're the ones that that uh set up a sarah they're the ones that That pissed off or real. They're the ones behind all of this shit and they're bringing down the gods. I think that'd be fucking awesome. That's what we should have had. But anyway, here we are. They're like Um, the
2: insects of (laughs) the annoying little insects. Is that what you're basically referring to them
1: as? (laughs) No, 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 no. I think that they are the, well, okay, hold on. Let me get into it. These guys existed before the gods. They swam around in the primordial seas and the darkest bodies of water that exist before light was a thing. They use their psychic abilities, of which they have incredibly potent and powerful psychic abilities, to dominate the earliest mortals and become like gods. Anything with even a hint of intelligence, these things will change to become more like them and also to control them so that they have subjects that worship them. But then the gods showed up and the gods are super fucking powerful and uh, they kicked the Aboleth's asses to the curb. But here's the cool thing. The aboliths haven't forgotten because they have perfect eternal generational memories and they scheme for eons at a time so these are creatures that will remember everything that happened to them for their entire lives they exist in deep dark waters oceanic abysses and the elemental plane of water and that same seems to be where they like originated from when the, we'd say the uh, primordial seas it's the plane of water um and they still exist and act like gods in these places and they require their subjects any sort of aquatic creature or anything with an intelligence score to worship and obey them for them there's two kinds of creatures subjects and prey and you don't want to be prey because whenever an aboleth eats another creature it gains all of their memories and all of their experiences and every time it kills and consumes someone it becomes more powerful these are master strategists that can pull on thousands of lifetimes of creatures to figure out the correct thing to do in my head these are potentially better schemers and plotters than even um asmodeus
0: yeah i mean honestly when i was reading about them uh i thought about a lot about mind flayers because they share a lot of the same characteristics but i mean i would almost make the argument that these guys are more powerful
1: they absolutely are Whereas the Mind Flayers seem to be more prolific, like there's just more of them, and they've got access to spaceships and laser beams and shit. Like, they are a civilization. Abilists are not. The Abilists don't seem to be a civilization. They seem to be separate from each other. All kind of connected, like dragons. All the dragons still know that dragons are better than everyone else. They just kind of hate each other, right? Like a, a brass dragon will see a red dragon, like, I gotta fucking kill that guy. But if anybody else does, then, well, hold on a second. Who's killing dragons now? You should not be fucking doing that, right? And it's the same thing with Aboliths. Um, There's a weird level of of respect among them. Um, And sometimes they will go to war amongst each other, but they don't team up. There's no no big Abolith race here. They are solitary, godlike creatures that kind of run their own shit. But here's the best part anytime that an abolith dies it doesn't die its spirit just goes back to the plane of water and slowly starts to manifest a new body and it'll be back within a year the only other creatures that do that are fiends um but the fiends also come with the caveat that if you kill them on their home plane they're dead dead and i think celestials work the same way Abolith doesn't say that so even if you kill them in the plane of water they'll be back they will be back. <laughs> and they will and remember
2: And re- they will remember <laughs> <laughs> they will remember this unkindness <laughs> do you think that they would be vindictive enough to like chase that person down
1: absolutely but they're like, also oh, going to yeah. be able to sit there with nothing to do no body at all for months sitting there playing this over and over again in their head becoming not mad like a beholder but strategic about it i did notice that that left uh the left foot of the dwarf that walked in was being favored just a little bit, that must be a weak spot for me to attack in the future. It's that kind of shit that you can expect out of an Aboleth because they do have perfect memories. And as they go back to Recall, they will almost like relive these moments over and over, trying to glean as much information as possible.
0: The scary thing about them, too, is that their numbers never lessen, right? Yeah. Because they are functionally immortal, there's just going to be more and more and more and more of them because they clearly do reproduce right
1: yeah um like they clearly do but it's not like they're pairing up right mm-hmm. so um again this is kind of like a dragon thing where the there may be a new abolith every thousand years or so right mm-hmm. um one of the things to keep in mind though is that no matter you can kill its body you can you can go and upset its little kingdom in the underdark or in the plane of water or whatever you can go and fuck up its entire day, but you still didn't dethrone it from the king, the the um, pinnacle of existence, the top of the food chain, the way that the gods did. So because these guys never die, and they have perfect generational memories, they each have a personal vendetta against specific gods, and it never goes away. When it comes to their subjects, though, they're a little bit more devious, and this is uh, one of the... Special little mind fuckeries that I like so much. We usually get out of, like, um, succubi, incubi, and uh, and hags. Because they use their psychic abilities to tempt their subjects with desires and delusions of their own dreams coming true. If they do a psychic attack against you and it works, you become charmed. And this is actually a mechanic in the book. They have a, an enslave mechanic in the monster manual that says three times per day. It's a DC 14 wisdom save. And when you are charmed, you are under the Aboleth's control. So you do it at once. You don't get to take any reactions, which means you're like, slow down a little bit. But you can communicate telepathically with the Aboleth over any distance. And remember, when they die, they become a spirit in the plane of water. So just because they're dead doesn't mean that they lose their hold over you. The only way that you can get rid of this is to repeat the saving throw once per day, only if it's beyond one mile away, because if they're closer than that, they still have dominion over your mind. Or if you take damage, you get to reroll. So if an Aboleth gets killed and all of its subjects just like kind of swim away, they will come back and start tending to the kingdom again for the Aboleth to return. Yeah,
0: but I mean... No, go ahead. Uh... At the same time, I mean, it's a pretty easily easy thing to break at that point, right? Like you could stub your toe and then all of a sudden you can repeat the saving throw.
1: My thought process is if you have been getting everything that you want for your entire life and suddenly you wake up and or you get an inkling that the world around you is actually dark and cold and wet and gross and... It's not the paradise you've been living in. Do you want to leave?
0: Oh, like a matrix sort of yeah. thing? Yep. Red pill or blue pill. Uh,
1: interesting. Okay. So um, so I talked about the enslaved mechanic for a moment. Let me talk about the uh, actual breakdown of their stat block here. They got an AC of 17, which is good. Uh, hit points are average for a CR 10. And again, the lore makes them sound like it should be a CR 25, but they come in as a CR 10. And I think the saving grace here is the fact that you can't really kill them. They will be back.
2: Yeah. Right? But I think um, that's the point, is that like, CR? it's like, yes, you're soft and squishy. I can kill you, but like, you're you're going to come back eventually. So
1: yeah. yeah. So one of the things um, about them is they essentially look like a fish, but instead of a tail uh, or fins, like they've got uh, a row of back fins, but they just have a whole bunch of tentacles. Uh, They end in like four tentacles um, coming out the back half of it. Uh, And then they've got a big maw of teeth, not like an upper or lower jaw, but just like a circular maw of teeth. And above the maw are three eyes. And that's kind of how they move around, by swimming with their tentacles and by eating everything that they can. So that means that they are amphibious. They have a swim speed of 40 feet, but the tentacles also allow them to walk on land for uh, 10 feet at a time. So I really like the idea of having to fight one of these guys and then, and it stays in the water for the first half of the fight. And then that fucker gets out of the water and now you're in trouble. Um, as far as the actual numbers go, strength is uh, above twenty, intelligence is an eighteen, and so is charisma, which is what you expect out of something that's going to try to mind control. Uh, have good memories, um, or have have a powerful memory, not fond memories. There's a difference.
2: I was going to say when you say that they have good memories, I was like, <laughs> I don't know if good is the right word.
1: <laughs> um, I don't know when they're
0: enslaving people. That's a pretty good memory. But, like,
2: um, the amount of times you've probably been killed over your life by someone who hates you, like, that's going to be a lot of memories that you just don't want to hang out.
1: Especially if it's the same bastard that's killed you, like, 17 times.
2: Could you imagine?
1: This motherfucker. This bitch. Um, yeah, their con and Wisdom are above average. Their Dex is just a little bit below average, um, which is pretty common for big monsters. Um, they've got some decent saving throws with boosts to con, Intelligence, and Wisdom. Um, and their history is a plus 12 because, of course, it is, and they've got a plus 10 to their perception. Dark vision for 120 feet because, yep, passive perception is 20. Uh, so it knows you're there. It speaks deep speech and telepathy out to 120 feet. Um, not common, which means that when it starts talking to you in your mind, you understand it, but it's speaking deep speech. So that's got to sound. Absolutely horrible, and in oh. my head, deep speech is is like um, wet tentacles writhing and massaging your brain,
2: and like echoey, you know what I mean? Like yeah. you hear it multiple times over and over again. You can't yeah. see, the, people can't see what my hands are doing, but it's like, and I feel like my hands are making a squelching noise,
1: massaging my favorite of, of all your, words, squelch, <laughs> yeah, it's a wet massage of your gray matter,
0: yeah, okay. I think of it as uh, like a whale call but horrific like just nails on a chalkboard <laughs> screaming through the ocean
1: i think i think me i like mixing the two of them and like the the whale call uh gives you the emotional intent behind it and it's how they interact together one is information and one is emotion that would be that'd be upsetting to hear mm-hmm. um so here's my favorite thing about it is it has tentacles, but also something called probing telepathy. Um, it, <laughs> Megan's on mute and i taking a drink <laughs> when I said that. It was pretty good. Um, so, if a creature communicates tel- uh, telepathically with the abolition, the abolition learns the creature's greatest desires as long as the abolition can see the creature. So, you don't want to be that close to it. Right. Um, Now, there are a couple of ways that it can communicate telepathically with you. Um, The enslave thing is is the best way to do it. Um, It also has uh, access to a gross thing called mucus cloud. Uh, Which means that when it's underwater, the aboleth is surrounded by what's called transformative mucus. A creature that touches the aboleth, or hits with a melee attack while it's within 15 feet of it, has to make a DC 14 con save. If it fails, you become diseased for 1d4 hours. Uh, The diseased creature can breathe only underwater. So you get this underwater sickness that essentially closes your lungs and makes gills appear. They do get uh, three tentacle attacks with their multi attack. Um, the tentacle attacks are pretty beefy. They got to reach a ten feet, which is the best thing about them, uh, besides the fact that if the target is a creature, it has to succeed. On a DC 14 constitution saving throw or become diseased. Uh, The disease, this disease is different than the mucus because it has no effect for one minute and it can be removed by any magic that cures diseases. But after a minute, your skin becomes translucent and slimy and you can't regain hit points unless you're underwater. And it cannot, or and it can be removed only by heal the spell or another disease-curing spell of 6th level or higher. When the creature is outside of a body of water, it takes 1d12 acid damage every 10 minutes until moisture is applied to the skin before 10 minutes have passed. That's really gross, and it's really phenomenal, and that is how I would force my players to end up doing about 4 or 5 sessions of uh, aquatic campaign.
2: Yeah, but also like trying to figure out... the hard part would be figuring out that that's what's happening to your body because i feel like as a dm you would describe what's happening to your body like unable to breathe like these things and you wouldn't think that jumping in the water would be what helps
1: unless somebody jumped in the water and got into this mucus cloud and then could only breathe underwater yeah right during the fight and then the abolith is dispatched somehow and everyone's sitting there going well shit, i'm having trouble breathing what do we do
3: yeah
1: um It also has a tail attack, but I don't know why you you would ever use that outside of the tentacle attacks. And remember, you get to do that three times every round. Everybody in your party is going to be making these saves. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Uh, And then, of course, there's the enslave action that I talked about earlier. But I'm not done yet. There are also legendary actions. Oh, baby. They get three. They can... Uh, Make a perception check as a legendary action to see if you are there. And remember, if they can see you and they can communicate telepathically with you, they they know what your greatest desires are and they can manipulate you. Uh, Tail swipe. So I guess that's why they gave us a tail attack to do as a legendary action. And then psychic drain, which costs two legendary actions. Um, if you're charmed you take 3d6 psychic damage and it regains hit points equal to the damage that you took so it just siphons off of you but again i'm not done yet because they get lair actions and there's no reason why they wouldn't be in their lair where they are king of the castle the first one is they cast uh phantasmal force they don't need uh material components for this. Any number of creatures that can uh, see it within 60 feet of it uh, have this cast upon them. While maintaining concentration on this effect, the Aboleth can't take other layer actions. If a target succeeds on a saving throw or if the effect ends for it, the target is immune to the Aboleth's Phantasmal Force layer action for the next day, although such a creature can choose to be affected if they want. So, phantasmal force. I'm going to look that up real quick here. Um, You craft an illusion that takes root in the mind of a creature that you can see within range. The target must make an intelligent saving throw, and on a failed save, you can create a phantasmal object, creature, or other invisible phenomenon of your choice. Sorry, other visible phenomenon of your choice that is no larger than a 10-foot cube, and that is perceivable only to the target for the duration. So, this is your whole greatest desire illusion thing, right? Um, to everyone within 60 feet that can see the avalanche. Yeah, would
0: you uh, impose disadvantage on the will save for the phantasmal force? because that they know your greatest desire so they know what you want to
1: see. Um would I increase the wisdom save on it? I'm not sure that I would just because of the way that it's written and the fact that this is hitting over and over and over again. Um I might ri- I might raise the DC though.
0: Yeah, well I I was thinking like disadvantage, right? Cuz if you pass it, then you're immune for the next 24 hours.
1: If you choose to be. Yeah. Right. And here's the interesting thing hold on let me let me bring up the spell again because i want to want to make sure that i have this the phantasm includes sound temperature and other stimuli also evident only to the creature um they can use its action to examine the phantasm with an investigation check against a spell save dc um at which point they realize that the phantasm is an illusion and the spell ends of course for the abolish they can choose to not end that spell effect right um Mm-hmm. And the other nasty thing about this is it's not actually the spell being cast. It this is a spell-like effect. Um, or sorry, no, it is the aboleth casts phantasmal force. So um, so. Would I raise it? I mean, the mechanics are already built in there, and I think that's why it's a CR 10. If I'm going to raise that at all or give disadvantage, then it becomes a CR 11, CR 12. I'm making it harder and harder for people to even take part in a fight, right?
0: Yeah, I guess. And the spell DC is going to be
1: pretty high,
0: because I'm assuming they use intelligence?
1: Uh Yeah, which is a plus four modifier. So yeah, um, pools of water within 90 feet of the Aboleth. Here's the second layer action. Uh, They surge outward in a grasping tide. Any creature on the ground within 20 feet of such a pool have to make a DC 14 strength save or be pulled up to 20 feet into the water and knocked prone. And remember... If you touch it, there's that mucus cloud, and you've got to make that save, right? To not be diseased. Water in the Avalis layer magically becomes a conduit for the creature's rage. They can target any number of creatures that they can see in such water within 90 feet. They've got to succeed on a DC 14 wisdom save or take 2d6 psychic damage. Um... This is the only one that says right in it that you can't use this layer action again until you've used a different layer action. Um, but I just always run all of my layer actions, never use the same one twice in a row, anyway. Um, so that's a lot going on for the Aboleth right now, and you can see that it being in its lair immediately makes it a CR-12 creature. If it has minions around, and it fucking will, it's now a CR-14 creature or higher. If it's coming back with revenge because it's faced you in the past and died, then it will have schemes. So now it's a CR 16 creature. This is going to spiral out of control for these guys. Um, But... If you thought I was done, I'm not because there's also regional effects because we get a layer. <laughs> um, underground surfaces within one mile of the abolith layer are slimy and wet and are difficult terrain. Water sources within one mile of the layer are supernaturally fouled. Enemies of the abolith that drink such water vomit it within minutes. And the last one is as an action, the abolith can create an illusory image of itself within one mile of the lair.
3: <laughs> How the fun? Copy,
1: yeah, the copy can appear at any location the abolith has seen before or in any location a creature charmed by the abolith can currently see. Once created, the image lasts for as long as the abolith maintains concentration, as if concentrating on a spell. The abolith can sense, speak, and use telepathy from the image's position, as if present in that position. If the image takes any damage, it disappears. If the abolith dies, the first two effects over the course of 3d10 days. So, that's aboliths. or so you would think because I'm not done yet. What we the have... fuck,
2: Adam? <laughs>
1: <laughs> we have more aboliths to cover. Um first and foremost in tales from the yawning portal, uh they give us a what's called reduced threat abolith. Um as far as I can tell, it is mechanically a little bit weaker, not based on the stats but based on the attacks and the saves. Um and its hit points are lesser um it's still considered to be a cr10 uh and it does not have uh layer actions it's just a it does have its legendary but not its layer action um but then critical role uh called the Netherdeep gave us two more kind of abolith related creatures one of them is the abolith spawn this is one of the creatures that has been a subject of the Abolith for so long that they've been permanently changed. They have three eyes that have opened up on top of their head, like that, that uh, move up their forehead, as well as their regular two eyes. Their entire skin has turned almost translucent white. Their legs have transformed into four tentacles, just like the Abolith has. Um, and there's, they look like um, their skin has been pulled tight across their body and then is sagging a little bit. With slightly longer arms, um, they do look like creatures from deep within watery uh, abyss. They absolutely 100% written in its stat block. They have to be um, obedient to the Aboleth Master. They cannot turn on it they're also dependent upon water they take the 1d12 acid damage every 10 minutes they go without being outside of it um other than that they're your standard cr5 creature um which means they've got decent stats uh no saves but a pretty solid amount of hit points um they do have a multi-attack with a spear and two tentacles the tentacles grapple uh so yay megan's very happy they also have something called psychic lash uh which is when it doesn't give us any real information about this it's a ranged spell attack plus seven to hit 120 feet one creature uh can be targeted by it and it does 4d8 psychic damage so you can imagine as you get closer to an abolish you see three or four of these things skulking around in the distance in the wet caves underground, and then suddenly you start to get hit with these psychic attacks. And getting any closer doesn't make it any better. But if you thought that I was done, there's still the one last thing, and they actually uh ramped up a special kind of abolith for the critical role setting specifically called the Elixian abolith. Uh I don't know the critical lore role, uh lore rather, so I am going to just kind of Guess that this is a creature um with some sort of weird possession going on because it's growing a second face off the side of its face. And it shares like this weird elongated mouth, but it's got a couple more eyes growing out of the side of its head. So it looks like an abolith, but it's really white and pale with like a whole bunch of like red, nasty growth coming out. I think that's the premise of Call of the Nether Deep, as things are getting corrupted. Um, like underwater shit. This, however, is a CR12. It doesn't have any of the layer or regional actions um, listed in the book. Sorry, the layer actions, the regional effects. It does still have the legendary actions for the tail swipe and the psychic drain, but it no longer has um, the ability to just do a perception check as a legendary action. But in slave, instead of being three times a day, now recharges on a four to six, and it's a bonus action. So you do it after your multi-attack. Yes pretty
2: messed up just for fun you know just
1: Just 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 for fun (laughs) Uh, mechanically speaking this whole shares the second face might be possessed there's weird corruption shit going on none of that is actually like reflected whatsoever in the stat block so it's just beefier and scarier and gets to do shit with the bonus action as well so um i love all of this and i can just imagine that this would be absolutely fucking terrifying uh can you imagine how rageful an aboleth having to share a mind with another creature would be
2: just angering, yeah
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) bitter too right
0: if i have to go through this this. yeah if i have to go through this everybody's gonna deal with this too
1: (laughs) so um that's what i have for aboleths so far
2: are uh, you done, Adam? <laughs> yeah.
1: for, for wait, now. There's more. For now. So, yes, that, that's what we have in Abolus. As a matter of fact, there is a lot more in previous editions if you want to dig into more lore, but we're focusing on 5th edition only. These guys, um, Abilus did not get a um, revamp for Mordenkainen's, um Monsters of the Multiverse because they're in Monster Manual the Monster Manual didn't get updated. It was just Volos and Mordenkainen, so... Um, so the Aboleth is the way that it was presented in the monster manual when you first bought it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably one of the things that most people have flipped by. Cause it's like second monster in there and gone, Oh neat. And then never thought about it again. Cause we have devils and demons and dragons for 40 pages. And look at this cool ass section on giants and gnolls and goblins. And, but the Aboleth is there just, just being fucking awesome and waiting to be a campaign villain.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hear that. Speaking of which, let's roll some dice and ask some questions about the abolith.
1: I got a 17.
2: 15.
0: Big old five.
2: Amazing. Really well
1: today. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right, Adam. Uh, what's a good quest idea that you have for these folks?
1: I mean, it's built right into the lore. Don't lean away from it. My big thing for them would be um an abolith is uh returning to the material plane. And uh it has enough knowledge keeping in mind that it can show you your greatest desires mm-hmm. and all it has to do is touch you and make you um or sorry it, it's just a creature that it can see the enslave uh thing is just a creature can see within 30 feet of it so if it's in the dark or underwater and you're on the side of the ship and let's say i don't know the astral sea and one of these things is trying to make its way from the plane of water back to the material plane um it can see you you fail a save and suddenly your wife that you're that you left behind at home your husband whatever it is is standing on the ship of the deck going i need your help you have to come home please
3: mm-hmm.
1: and that can derail a whole fucking campaign it's true that that right there the quest is then okay we're gonna go do this as it attaches to the underbelly of your ship
3: mm-hmm.
1: and now you are transporting an abolith back to its home so it can get revenge on others and the best thing is you and all of the other players around the table are going to get to see all the shit that they really wanted. Oh, you wanted a magical sword? Here's one. And then you have it. as li- And there's no reason for you to say, oh, my magic sword doesn't exist. So you get all of these really cool things, and everybody gets this, and it's so cool and so powerful, and it's going to be... You're going to wake up one day and realize that all your shit is gone, and you've been used by the bad guy the whole time, and now this is going to make your, your players pissed. Yeah, okay, so I have a thing to say that i mean you
0: see it but it doesn't necessarily mean it's real right like you could see this all-powerful vorpal sword that could destroy a god in a single hit but it doesn't mean it's
1: going to be able to right this is still a illusion but it has the ability to cast phantasmal force so once you're enslaved and it knows what you want and it can communicate telepathically with you and you want to do its bidding it is then going to use its um its action I, it's a layer action so i would say you know it's going to make its layer on the bottom of your ship how long does it take to make a layer a day mm-hmm. <laughs> right like if, if you're a magical yeah, being
2: you just you just like it's a big basically this is where i live now like <laughs>
1: Like like you guys pull over on the side of an asteroid and the abolith manages to swim right up into the fucking side of of your hull and just Mm -hmm. camp out for three days while you're off doing a quest and now you're now you gotta deal with its layer actions. Phantasmal force is gonna yeah, it's gonna give you the Vorpal Sword. This is not real. I don't know.
0: Okay, so I I also don't think a lair would be able to move, right? Because at least in my mind's eye, uh, a layer is created because they're poison of their being is slowly leaking out into the environment around them right so if they are but it surrounds them
2: like in my mind it surrounds them and it's like where they reside so I, I feel like it could attach itself and well,
1: okay so there's your question is a pirate ship environment or an object if it's inside the pirate
0: ship yes if it's outside and it's like stuck to the bottom side of the hull no right because so, it's
1: so you don't think that a barnacle's home is the underside of a ship
0: uh well, I don't think those are the same things, right? That's not an equal comparison, right? Because, I mean, a, a barnacle, uh, a barnacle might pollute its environment over time, but I mean, if it's constantly moving through the ocean, its corruption is getting dissipated over all that area, right? Whereas opposed to, like, if you this is a terrifying and dark example, but if uh you're trying to poison a well let's say right sure. drop a dead body in it and then its corruption gets into all the water over time but if it's a constantly moving stream of water then that corruption is not going to have the same effect
2: yes but like i mean poison is a good one that i feel like players and or other dms can argue but this one is just its mental capabilities of what it could do when it's in a specific area it's not like it's not going to be able to mind control someone because it's only been there for five minutes. You know what I mean? Like, it's not an over the time thing. I feel like this one specifically because it is mind control and it's an ability that they have in like for an area that they, they, they affect. Like, I just feel like it's a little bit easier to justify. But I feel like any DM can really decide what it wants to do. I love the idea that it attaches itself to like a ship or um like let's say it's just all of a sudden like disguised itself and it's now in the hull of your ship and pretending to just be someone who's traveling with you and it can still mind affect you right away right like I feel like it's aura as a as an existing being has these mind control capabilities and I like that a lot
1: so I think that for the most part Kyle you're you're pretty right when we look at the creatures that have layer actions there's not a whole lot of them and about half of them are dragons right Mm -hmm. ancient and adult um on top of that you get a whole lot of like cr20 plus uh fiends and um some aberrations from eberron but you also get things like uh the chiron uh the celestial uh has layer actions the uh Loth, which is literally the boatman that takes you across the river sticks has layer actions and regional effects and his layer is his sh- his boat and it's like barely bigger than a rowboat yeah. so so I think that the idea of it, like, poisoning the area around you, we're talking about, like, its magical essence is flowing into the region and is corrupting it or imbuing it um, with its will, right? And that's kind of what, what the conversation we're having, not not necessarily literal poison, right? Yeah. Um, po- yeah. poisoning, poisoning the well is a good example because we don't really have magic in the real world. So, But the idea is that it takes a little bit of time to build up and become more potent. Um, in my head, if you have an aboleth, uh, if you have an that uh, like, uh, hard stop. I don't need a, a qualifier on, on the end of that. If you have an abolith, that abolith has been around for eons. It knows all the shit. And if it decides that it's going to attach onto the bottom of your ship and it doesn't want to be found, it fucking will. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> it's built into the lore that this is. these things are so ancient and so smart, and they have people that work for them. They have entire kingdoms. They have these massive schemes. So yeah, sure, they've got this this little empire in like a dark watery abyss. But those creatures, uh, if if some of them are drow that have gills, they're going to go out into the world and they're going to interact with other drow, and you'll still be able to manipulate societies around. These guys are. It's not just. It's not just the little thing that they're doing here in their immediate vicinity. It's the fact that they probably control trade routes to avoid their waters or to lure people in, right? Mm-hmm. And they would have they would have minions uh, that can go out and make deals with other creatures that can then hire on mercenaries because it has so much world and life experience that nothing is really outside of its grasp. And it will take eons to set up this plan because this is what it needs to do to be able to wipe out the gods. It can't do it from down here. So okay. yeah. with, with the high intelligence, that's why I say your Aboleth needs to be hyper intelligent, has to be a schemer. It has to be as intelligent, at the very least, as as your high intelligence wizards. And um, that's why I like the idea of it being able to pretty much do anything. They're Batman. Batman's yeah. skill is, does he have enough time to come up with a solution, right? And then he fucking will. And that is his plot armor, um, for good or for ill, but that's what an Aboleth is. Do they have enough time? And the answer is, yeah, yeah, they do. Right. Well, you don't fight an abalith one on one. You fight an abalith by wiping out its resources first, so that it cannot utilize its schemes against you. Yeah, and it probably becomes aware of you the first time you inadvertently disrupt its its scheme. It's like, all right, fuck. That's the third time with these guys. That's it. Bring them in. We're gonna we're gonna mind control them. They're ours now. Okay.
0: So, like an example of what I was talking about is in the flavor text for regional effects. It says, "Is the abalith dies, the first two effects fade over the course of." Three to ten D 10 days, right? So that's sure. how long I imagine the effects to also take effect, right?
2: But um, yeah. I would say all of this is up to DM discretion. I feel like you can yes. decide whatever the hell you want to do as a DM. It can either take two to three days based on how long it takes to dissipate. It can happen right away, or it could take 10 years. Like I just feel like it's There is no rule or there's no specific rule around it. So I just feel like any DM could just decide to do whatever they want to do. But
0: Megan, we're trying to debate semantics here and your (laughs) logic.
2: We're debating semantics on a question that should take two minutes and you're taking 15.
1: (laughs) Welcome to It's a Mimic, Megan. Have you ever been here before? Yeah. (laughs) Um, Look, honestly, I think that Megan's right. It's going to come down to DM discretion. Uh, Rules as written there's nothing rules as intended there's nothing you have to extrapolate from the reverse of the i I don't know um does it take 3d 10 days to dissipate because the corpse is still there and is still radiating magic out of it or does Mm -hmm. it take 3d 10 days because that's how long an average like that is the amount of corruption that a abolith on average puts into an area like, it infects it immediately, but it doesn't do 100% corruption until it's lived there for 150 years with a slow build. But then once it's gone, it, it dissipates quickly. Or does is that just like a ripple effect, right? You throw a rock in the water, the rock is there if fucking immediately, but it ripples for a little while, but it will eventually be calm again, right? So depending on how you want to look at it, I feel like you can make an argument any way you want um i love the idea of an abalith layer being whatever it wants to latch on to for 24 hours or so because it's got the mucus it is literally infecting the waters around it
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and it has the ability to change other people it has the ability to change other people physically to make it so they can only breathe water it closes off your lungs And not only closes them off, it makes it so you don't need them, right? It doesn't just suffocate you. It just makes them redundant. And it also creates an entire respiratory system, magically, almost instantaneously. So, like, I feel like this is just something that it can fucking do. And the fact that, I'm going to say this too, it should be a spellcaster. I'm sorry, it's got high enough intelligence and a long-ass memory. And I feel like it was in previous editions. And I'm absolutely giving this thing spells.
2: Something. Yeah, Yeah, something. It can't not have something.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But any hustle. You are next, right? you got a quest?
2: <laughs> I was going to lean into the reincarnation part cuz where I have seen eyeballists in my past like D, like DM/character um experience was that there was always a character in someone's backstory that would constantly be following them. And it would be because there was a vendetta and like their biggest rival in life was actually an Aboleth that was chasing them and following them. And we would fight them and then we would think that we won, but suddenly they would appear at the end of the campaign or the end of the season multiple times. Um, Or it would just be like a mini side quest thing where like they'd be like, yes, we have this thing hunting me and I can't necessarily kill it. It just haunts me. Right. It ends up being like a haunting kind of thing. So, and it's one of those things where because it's a part of a character's backstory, they would have to decide whether or not they're actually going to act and do anything about it kind of thing, right? So,
1: So, when when it talks about, in the lore, it talks about how long it takes to reincarnate, how long it takes for a new body to show up. And it says, days or months interestingly enough it doesn't say weeks which makes me think that like one to 30 days or 3d 10 days which is how long the aboleth that their influence disappears out of out of the regional effects so mm-hmm. like to kyle's point a minute ago like i'm I'm swapping sides now i'm like maybe maybe the regional effects and layer effects and shit go away because it has manifested its body somewhere else oh interesting
2: yeah
1: i mean but that's, that, that's, that's true true still for- technically
2: It's still technically sticking to your old thing because it it, it follows itself, right? Like, its regional effects follow Mm -hmm. itself. It's not that, like... like, Yeah, so, like, it dies. Its regional effects, like, will dissipate over a period of time until it reincarnates somewhere else, and then that's where its regional effects are now. Like, it's almost like it follows wherever it exists.
1: No, that's not going to be the case for a lot of the other stuff, like Elder Brains and um, Beholders and fucking uh, Liches and stuff. Like... I mean, maybe liches. Let me pick something else. A kraken. When they die, it still takes a certain amount of time for all the regional shit to go away again. And they don't reincarnate. So I'm kind of reverse engineering it to make it make sense for aboliths Because yeah. why the fuck not? And they don't have rules for this shit. So it's
2: true. What about you, Kyle? What do you got for a quest?
1: Uh, okay, so I really love
0: the idea of them hating gods and trying to get revenge. So I'd like to do something where they basically took over a temple, maybe a really important one um, that they got access to through an underground river and have slowly enslaved all the priests inside and are either forcing them to do horrible things or, and trying to get people to turn their back on whatever God it is, or using the priests to bring them more slaves, right? Like they set themselves up in the basement of this temple in an underground river. And these priests are like, come down here for some benediction. And then just to gets slaved over again
1: <laughs> oh my god but hold on hold on to, to take it a step i'm gonna i'm gonna i love that kyle i absolutely love that imagine if they were going after an evil god imagine if they were going after lolth because lolth was the specific god that kicked this specific abolith's ass way back when and so the abolith is is actually your fucking group patron that's like hey can you guys go kill loth for me i will give you all the shit that you want but it communicates through the one abolith slime junkie that just loves how good it feels to be <laughs> yeah, under the yeah. wall of this abolith. Drugs. <laughs> right? It, it like it just comes out like God, I, I wish I could see that that imaginary shit again. I would love to to get back into that. And don't tell me that people wouldn't do that. We're all fucking slaves to our fucking games on our phones. Come on now. We all love that Im- invisible fake shit all of all around us. Yeah, People I was stronger. a nobody. But sorry. sorry, what
0: I was gonna say, like, oh, like I was a nobody before, but now I'm a player.
1: Like I'm an important person. Mm. in yep. the universe. Yep, and like this, this one person is just like, yeah, I'm, I'm not only this, but when I go back uh, to go see the abbot, he's gonna, he's gonna make me uh, see my dead wife again, and I'm gonna go back to living my happy life. Um, I know oh. it's not real, but it doesn't need to be. I love her.
2: This is what I love. Yeah, this is yeah. the life I've chosen. Yeah. yeah. So Aww.
1: so sad and heartbreaking, but also like really neat. It's
2: true. Aww. Speaking of heartbreaking, role-playing tips and tricks. Adam, what do you got?
1: Um, I don't think an abelis ever uses its mouth for anything except consuming. So when it is speaking to you. While it does speak deep speech, I think it chooses to do it telepathically. Um, and so it is just going to stare at you with unblinking, beady black eyes, one above the other. I think they were red in previous editions, but in the artwork now they're black. And this mouth that is just open, that it is just breathe, like mouth breathing rotten fish smell out of it. Um, and like it's got four tentacles. How many tongues do you think this thing has to speak deep speech?
2: Uh, I gotta say it's like one tongue split seven ways.
1: Yeah. I, I think so. But it's got <laughs> but it's got the ability to roll Rs in deep speech. So like to a mind flayer, it sounds vaguely Scottish. Right. Oh, I,
0: <laughs> I imagine uh there's less the tongue and more the esophagus. Like it can it's like a whole bunch of segmented muscles that I can just squeeze individually. Roll. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, oh. but
1: I think communicating with this thing, even when it's just like having a conversation, has got to be so disconcerting. It has to make your skin fucking crawl. Yeah, right, yeah just by talking to this um and uh i think that they would know enough to understand the different cultures of the world they've got eons and eons to learn this shit, so they would know all of the right etiquette and cultural things to say to get you to do shit. they're hyper intelligent they're hyper charismatic as well and they've got high wisdom yeah they're going to get you on their side and they could probably do it without the mind control shit. and they'll probably let you know I could do this with mind control, but I don't want to. We should be friends.
2: Yeah, I'm too tired, and I don't want to. Today is a nap day, so I'm just going to treat you like a regular human being.
1: I don't think that. It's I'm doing you this I've got a headache.
2: Yeah. (laughs) I've got a migraine.
1: (laughs) I'm going to do you this favor. Now you do me a favor. I've decided not to mind control you. Can you go over there and kill this guy for me?
2: Yeah. I don't know. I like my my thoughts on the like. If I was to role play one of these, I feel like they would be super hyper intelligent, know way too much, but they're hyper fixators in my mind. So like again, they're like if they were to be a revenge seeker on someone, that's they're obsessed with that, right? And they're just kind of just like I have all this wealth of information, but this next six months, this is what I'm going to focus on until the job is done.
1: I would just so, be really careful with that because you're going to kind of get into the beholder insanity, the yeah. beholder paranoia.
2: But it's like they they know everything. Like, if you had all-knowing knowledge from the beginning of time and constantly being, like, I don't know, killed and or hunted and or, like, I feel like you would bridge a gap into the crazy. Like, you would become slightly paranoid. Like, I, I can imagine there are abilists in this world that would be paranoid because they're like, all anybody wants to do is kill me because of the type of person that I am. Or the being that I was birthed and born to be. So I'm going to be a little bit topsy-turvy crazy.
1: But I don't think that they're that paranoid anymore. Because, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen to an immortal being? They get their shit taken oh. away, they can't get it back again. But
2: right? how annoying think- would that be? Like, I would be I annoyed we- by it.
0: <laughs> I think the only thing they would fear is becoming slaves themselves, right? Because they've seen it time and time and time and time again. And they don't really have to fear death. So... What else could they possibly fear? Like Being captured loses.
2: and put in a room where they can't kill themselves, like a padded room. Like Yeah,
0: and just being stuck in a loop, right? And so they've seen the effects of all these people they've enslaved over generations.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I gotta think, too, that they've gotta be fucking jealous of the gods. Because I can get people to worship me, but I force it. You guys get people to worship you, and they want to. What the fuck?
2: Yeah, I feel like they would just yeah. pretend to be a god at some point. Like your point, take over. Like a um...
1: well, that's 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 their whole shtick. Is they were they acted as gods before the gods showed up, and yeah. they still have their own little little kingdoms where they act like gods until someone comes and kills them and sends them back to square one again. It's, it's like they're they're all trying to get back to the level of power that they had before, but the gods. And keep in mind the gods created mortals, right? So all the mortals that they've enslaved before were like fish and seahorses and like mildly intelligent seaweed, and then these fucking bipedal bastards come out here with wrought iron and magic and they kick my ass back to square one over and over. It's not just the gods that do it; the creations of the gods do it. Yeah. So I think that there's like a real jealousy, a real, a real anger, a seething anger. But I mean how long can you be angry for before it just starts to make you mean? You're not angry, you're not enraged anymore, you're just mean. Yeah. That's what well, it, I mean they live
0: forever and so they constantly have to deal with that, right? Like they have perfect memory for all time. So it is a constant
1: reminder that they are always the bridesmaids never the bride. True, but the other thing too is that you know they've got perfect memories. We as humans remember the negative better than, than the positive. It's an evolutionary thing that we have to keep us alive longer. We, it makes more sense for us to remember the thing that poisoned us and made us sick to our stomachs than it is to remember the thing that tasted pretty good because the thing that tastes pretty good came and went, and that's it. Didn't affect us. Not going to not going to affect our survivability. So we focus on the negative more than the positive and aboleth though doesn't have that evolutionary tick because they never they've never needed to so they remember the good as well as the bad so if they if they've been sitting around just just in in a pleasant little tentacle orgy for the last four thousand years what are they really upset about
0: i mean honestly i kind of picture them being like old people sitting in front of their windows watching children play on their lawn and be like god damn kids get
2: off my lawn
1: (laughs) (laughs) for me i think the best i will call the police (laughs) the best thing for me is because they don't age like the best parallel is going to be vampires the vampire that remembers your family because your great-grandfather did this thing 300 years ago and so and they remember but avalus take that to the nth degree because they are like i say, they're immortal it's not like they're old people because they are they don't look back on their their heyday and say, I only have so much time left. No, they're going to live forever, right? I think that the present- yeah, but, but,
0: but they'll problem. never achieve that level of dominance again, right? Like there is the past that will never reoccur, right? So they're always comparing the old days with the uh, current
1: days. Yes. But I, I, yeah, but you got to think about it from their perspective. It, it's not that they will never recapture that. They just aren't doing it now. This right now, these 10,000 years, this is the dark spot in my lifespan. I was a god before. I'm going to be a god again. I just got to figure yeah, out how yeah. to get there faster. Sure. I don't know. Abolists are are fucking fascinating.
2: I feel like you should have just done an episode on abolists at this point. Like, I, <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think we cut kind off. <laughs> All
2: right. Well, do you have anything else on role-playing, Kyle? Or we can move on to exploration and clues.
0: Uh no, I I think the the my main point was I think they would not have anything to fear except becoming slaves themselves. Yeah, I think that was the big point for me. So
2: I agree. I, that yeah. that would be their one fear. Yeah. But. All right, Adam. Exploration clues. What you got?
1: Everything is wet.
2: Yeah, I was gonna say everything is wet and everything <laughs> is slimy.
1: Oh no, to... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm, talking, I'm said... talking about my chair here right now. Because everything is wet.
2: <laughs> Stop it, Adam. That's gross. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> No one wants to hear about how wet it is where you are right now.
0: Yeah. We just lost <laughs> at least 20 listeners. Yeah, but I just
1: got one super
0: fan.
2: Uh, <laughs> and it's an owl. <laughs> <laughs> so these guys like me.
1: <laughs> um no, for exploration, uh, these guys even their minions need to be underwater not just around water not just wet but submerged right like that's the whole deal with them so the exploration is going to be when shit gets weirdly mind-controlling when people start like the clues are people start to act strangely out of character um or they seem like absolutely is absolutely everything is totally fine don't worry about it it's all good it's all fantastic because i have this one item or i have the love of this one person or i um have this uh this one thing that i this one place i can go to and nobody else can see the thing nobody else has met the person no one else can go to the place because it's a fantasy but everyone is just kind of happy i like beware the coastal village of happy people yeah mm-hmm. this is also
2: where i would use the uh the desires uh piece when you're doing the exploration this is when your players are suddenly going to get visions of those wonderful things in their mind or there's going to be that one player that saves and all of a sudden everybody wants to do the same thing at one time they're like i'm sorry we are on a quest why do we want to go to this town and do this thing what's happening like yeah like that would be the moment of questioning where like half the group wants to do one thing very specific and half the other group is like um are you sure like
0: <laughs> uh isn't that every D party Never.
2: But yeah. it's kind of like it's a little bit different when like the focus completely shifts. And like again to Adam's point, your personality almost changes because your desire is something that would change your personality to like if it's what you want. So it's like you're no longer putting on a strong upfront characteristic. Like you know, it's almost like your role-playing of your character is gonna shift.
4: Hmm. Okay. Uh,
2: but yeah, what about you? Kyle. Like um if I'm going off my previous example, uh,
0: I really liked the poisoned water effect. Like, I think that's a good clue that's not, I don't know, it's a little more subtle than the rest of them, you know? Yeah. And so um, if you went into like a temple, say, and the priests are using water for benediction on people and your party's like, that doesn't smell right. Doesn't that seem weird to anybody else here? And then nobody kind of like reacts to it.
1: (laughs) Right? Everybody, everybody ends up blinking the three eyes on their forehead.
3: Yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> gross. Um, I but, just had uh, a th- I'm sorry. I just had a thought. Um, this kind of role playing, kind of exploration, because we were talking about the people around. Um, do you guys know about Needful Things, the Stephen King book? No, no. The premise is that I think they just did a rip uh, on it of uh on Rick and Morty. Um, the premise is that there's this mysterious, mystical shopkeeper that moves into town. He opens up a little curio shop called Needful Things, and inside it is the thing that every person desires. You can have it for free, but I'll need you to do something for me later.
3: Mm. And if
1: you don't do it, I'll take it away. Mm -hmm. And I just was thinking with the abolith giving you everything you want, but there's nothing in any of the lore about the abolith being able to turn that off when they want. But could you imagine... I will reunite you with your dead wife and everything will be happy. Or I'll give you your missing child back, but I can take them away. Yeah. And what that would do to people. Yeah, that's a
0: great motivator.
2: Yeah, and a great motivator for another big, bad, evil guy. Or, like, a bunch of evil people, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's where the cultists come from. Protect, protect, you know, the aboleth so that we can maintain our positive lives and continue to keep the things we want to keep. I think they would have...
1: They would have Fathomless Warlocks follow them, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very true. Cool. Uh, uh, are we into combat?
2: We're into combat. Adam.
1: Oh, lair stuff. Suck those bastards into the water and make everybody fight in the water.
2: Yeah. I was going to say, you're not fighting it. You're fighting its regional layer effects and its ability to keep you away from it. And or pull you in, fuck up your life, and then run away. Like, it's not going to let you hit it, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Like,
1: yeah. I'm gonna hit three of you. You're all gonna be poisoned. I'm gonna hit the fourth guy with my tail attack, and then on the next round, uh, after after his turn, um, I'm then going to uh, I'm gonna hit that enslaved guy with my phantasmal force, and I'm gonna totally fuck up everybody around. And like this is battlefield control. Through you are fighting the environment with these guys because I don't think they're ever going to leave their layer, which is why I think they they make their layer wherever they go. They're yeah, going to be but... somewhere longer than a couple of days. They'll build a layer. Yeah,
2: I think if you're going to make an exception or think about what it really means to be a
1: layer, this is one that you would think about
2: that aspect because it's not going to make itself vulnerable by leaving if it didn't have the ability to build a layer wherever it was going. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, but yeah.
0: Okay. So, I I think this actually fits in uh great with the previous idea right like exploration clues is that the layer is always gonna be on the underside of another environment right like it's more of a parasitic thing than a standalone right like with a dragon layer it is the dragon's layer, right and that is it but for an avalith it would be you know this thing is living in the sewers beneath a city right so the first thing you see is a city you don't really know that it's also a layer on top of that no but for in terms of combat when i was using this thing uh, i made the mistake of doing combat outside of water which was a <laughs> terrible idea because <laughs> like i i didn't realize how quickly the 10 foot movement speed was going to become a burden on anything else, right? So if I'm going to use this in combat, it's going to be in the water, and it's also going to be a surprise in the water, right? So uh, if I was going to do (laughs) it, not like that, Megan, sorry, (laughs) Uh, wrong kind of tentacles. Yeah, Uh, but I think think the best way I would use this encounter is, uh, let's say your party is going through a series of caves right and they get to one pool of water and then they have to swim right like underneath a rock wall to get to another pool of water to get to the next area in a cave system right i would have the party meet this ablet at the bottom of that depression where they're like swimming from one way to the other and then they're caught between two spaces of land and they can mm-hmm. either try to go forward or back but they're still going to be fighting to Look get at you splitting to be... the party
2: Hate it, love it, but hate it. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool, though. I would panic as a person just because I don't like being underwater, but that's fine.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: me too. Underwater scares the shit out of me.
1: Yeah, I have, I have legitimately two phobias in my life, and the ocean is one of them.
2: But is it like the deep sea kind of ocean, or is it like any ocean water you don't enjoy?
1: Uh, if I can't see the bottom, yeah. I don't know what can see me. Uh, thalassophobia is what that's called. Yeah. Yes, I am fully aware. My other one is uh tripophobia or tripophobia, which is yeah. the holes.
2: Yeah. I don't know if I have a fear of that. I just don't like looking at it.
1: <laughs> it makes my skin crawl and I get vomit reflex if I look at like like a bot fly oh. infestation on someone's back. That's that's okay.
2: Like, gross. Nope. Yeah, okay. <laughs> just gross.
1: <laughs> yeah. We don't
0: need to talk about that one.
2: All
0: right. What do that... we need to talk about?
2: I I'm gonna talk about Morkoff. <laughs> We're gonna move on from aboliths. Yeet.
1: You, you said yeet. Yeet. <laughs> just back to the plane of water with you.
2: Yeah. Get back drown. Go drown yourself, Abolith.
1: <laughs> it just occurs to me that all of them today have uh have layer actions.
2: Yep. Neat. Yeah. All of them have regional. Mine has regional and layer. I don't know
1: if um Well, you, you get regional when you have a layer. Yeah. Hey <laughs> <laughs> I was really content to argue about Abellus for the next hour and a half. I know
2: you were, and I'm like, I'm not doing this for another
1: hour. <laughs> ruin my fun.
2: I was like, when we're done, you and Cal can argue about this, and I'm gonna log off because I'm gonna go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to ruin your dreams, but it's
1: what I do as a person. So you should be unsurprised. Is that what you do as a person? No, you do much more than that as a person. I ruined. Also I ruined dreams. And- you you terrify you torment dan it's true you make dave do ridiculous double takes in the little d. &D. you encourage casey to drink
2: (laughs) i encourage anyone to drink
1: that's true you do Uh... i'm very concerned about um coming up here oh i'm so excited i need another influence
2: i know i need another person to influence and be a terrible person too and four
1: (laughs) and around oh and at and what yeah. else, what
2: else yeah you know what that's just how i roll so cool all right let's talk more costs let's <laughs> let's all right so visually they look like your classic tentacle monster but with an angry mouth obviously it's kind of like beakish shall we say uh but they're also covered in stuff so if you're better than terry and have seen the movie the labyrinth It reminds me of that garbage pit witch that tries to hand all the stuffed animal toys back to Sarah and it's just covered in trash items, just like collector's items, but they think they're precious and special.
1: It's just Funk, uh, like Pop Funkos as far as the eye can see.
2: Yeah. So just covered in all of those, like, but like tightly bound by like, you know, straps and and like nets so that it holds it, holds it tight to its body. If it was
1: 40 years ago, it would be coin collections, but now it's, it's. Pop
2: Funkos? Pop Funkos,
1: yeah. A mobile hoarder. Yes, yeah. it's a
2: mobile hoarder is a very, very good way to describe it. Uh, but why are they covered in stuff, you ask? Well, I will get to that. First thing to note is that they are old as fuck, but also really cool. Uh, they're basically ancient and envious little fucks. Well, kind of like medium-sized fucks uh, that roam the plains gathering and picking shit up to make the best and more complete-feeling hoard they can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Megan, we'll get there. They're large.
2: They're large. <laughs> they're, they're medium. They're Although, large. Oh, more. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're correct. Did they change from size from the olds? I don't think so. I swear to God. Anyways, I'll look it up later because I took notes from both books. So <laughs> fine. They're large fucks. <laughs> large fucks given. Uh, but you see, it is kind of in their history that they are basically the spawn or rebirthing of a god of greed that fell years and years ago. That basically became a husk of a being that floated through space. And that basically one day collided with celestial, like, life-birthing magic. And then a big boom happened and that birthed many little tiny islands that were inhabitable. And on those islands, a small piece of the green god was reborn into a tentacled monster from hell.
1: You're right. They were medium in Volos. They're Thank large you. in... Uh... In
2: Mordenkidans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but they are large now because that is the new print, basically. Yeah. Um. Anyways, so this Morkoth is a tentacle greed monster that likes to collect stuff and has a home to hoard it on. So not only does it hoard its stuff on its back, but it also hoards its stuff in its island, on its home, in its lair.
0: I know a couple people like that.
2: I know. I am not. I like. I like to think that I'm a hoarder, but I'm not. I like an organized chaos hoarder because I collect very specific things. But yes. So not only that, but they are. Their little horde islands are kind of described as being a place out of a dreamscape. So basically, they are enchanted with a lot of mind fuckery magic. So if you visit one of these islands, you can basically say goodbye to anything that makes sense. Think of walking into the Feywild, that's kind of what you're walking into when you walk into one of these hoarders' homes. So here's the fun fucked up part. These islands are kind of also surrounded by protective magic, so they can exist anywhere and still be able to be inhabitable, including the Nine Hells. And they just float around, and sometimes so they float around in like patterns, so you'll see them float around and they'll arrive at the same place at the same time every year, or they just kind of stay where they want to stay, or they just kind of float. Um,
1: This feels uh, like water world.
2: Very much so, in my mind, yeah. So they, they just kind of float around. Or they can stay. Again, they can stay. They can anchor. In my mind, they can anchor the little island if they wanted to. Or it could just like float through space too. If you wanted to play a spell jammer game, I feel like these could float in space. You know? Like, they, again, they could exist anywhere. Because it's its own, like, environment. Own little environment that it creates for itself. It's
0: pretty fun. I really like that idea.
2: Yeah. So, the Morkoth itself, the fun little thing to remember is that they're greedy little bastards that only want to acquire things that they don't have and will not give them up easily. They can be known to strike bargains, but remember that they're vindictive, so will most likely make it so that it favors themselves. Um, But the thing, also the thing to remember is that they can remember where every... Not remember, but they can actually track their items. So if you were to remove one of the items from its island or take one, it could follow you and it will know where you are. It knows exactly where all of its items are at all times, no matter what plane you're on, basically.
0: That's pretty awesome.
2: Yeah. Not only that, but if you make a strike a deal and make a, a, like a, and basically you get to take one of its items, or let's say that you make an agreement with that it's going to do something for you or you're going to do something for it. uh, It will remember that forever. And if you break that promise... They will hunt you down or, like, wait until they get, like, that moment. And they will always, of course, remember. Similar to, like, the Aboleth, it will always remember until it has either rectified the issue or completed the the arrangement that it's made. Like, basically complete the contract.
0: They make me think of cosmic pawn shop
2: dealers. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but much more vindictive and greedy. Mm. Like, <laughs> to the umpteenth degree. <laughs> So, before I kind of get into the actual stat block of this thing, uh, we'll talk about its layer effects, because it does have, of course, a layer, which I did speak to. Um, But remember that the island is basically their entire home, but their layer then also has a series of tunnels, underground tubing, and they kind of dwell surrounded by its stuff in like a far off corner of the underground of its little dwelling. Um, and then of course they have their their layer actions which is they can cast a spell within their layer action without actually taking up one of its spell slots so they can use darkness to spell magic or misty step they can also use their hypnotize capability which is basically using its hypnosis action ability but instead of just being in a 30 foot cone it just has to pick a spot within 120 feet and then it's a dc 17 wisdom save not to be charmed which basically means that it has to move closer to you would have to move closer to the Morkov.
1: I, I have a question. Did I miss this? Are there layers underwater?
2: They can be. They can.
1: Because they've got the swim speed and the telepathy and the dark vision and then alter water is a thing that could... Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself.
2: You are okay. getting... Those are the, its regional effects. Give me a minute, Adam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: If it's amphibious, the lair should be underwater, just to make it harder for the party, right? It
2: is amphibious. So, yes. So, basically, these tubings and tunnels are, again, they're underground. So, in my mind, they could be underwater. But because it can exist within any plane, in my mind, it could either be, like, half underwater, half above water. Like, it could be any of those things. But it does have regional effects that are very, very indicative that it would be underwater. Or at least partially underwater. So... Again, so now we can go on to the regional effects, which are alter water, which basically means it can adjust any of the water within its layer only, though.
1: And now you're Uh, just copying me.
2: I know, right? Uh, But it can either make the water breathable, so if it wants you to come towards it, it will make the water breathable for you, so that you as the party can travel through the water, but it can also change, of course, its opacity. So you can change whether it's murky or clear or what have you, so if it wants to trap you Or, you know, I don't know, charm you into coming towards it, it has you go underwater where you you are finding that it's breathable, all of a sudden make it unbreathable and change the opacity to murky, murky, and you get lost in the tunnels and die. Just saying. Yeah. That's just a fun thing.
0: (laughs) Also, it can basically make it so air and water are the same thing, so that swimming speed also is a flying speed at the same time.
2: Sure. Why not? Again, as DMs, you can decide whatever you want to do in my mind. (laughs) Um, It also has locate creatures and objects, which kind of speaks to the fact that it knows where its shit is at all times. Uh, But it can tell immediately if something or someone or new has arrived to its island, like immediately will know that you're there. And then the aura feeling is that if you land on one of these islands, you are constantly being watched, even if you are not. You just get that feeling that you're being looked at, right? Um, and then of course it has lost possessions. Uh, so for anyone who has been on the island for less than one year, every time you take a short or long rest, you make a DC 10, uh, intelligence save, or one of your items goes missing. It is actually going to be nearby, but if you, ha- you have to make another DC 15 wisdom save to be able to find it. And if you don't within one hour, it actually becomes a part of the, uh, more cost hoard which then if you end up finding within their layer, you will find your items again. So what a great reward for your team, finding their own stuff.
0: That yeah. sucks. That <laughs> sucks. <laughs> I think they really missed an opportunity by not calling that finders keepers.
2: Right? <laughs> 100 percent but i feel like okay adam i think you say that sucks but i feel like you've done that to our group multiple times where you just take our (laughs) stuff away and then return it later on i don't know (laughs) what you mean and we're all super excited about it
1: (laughs) you guys started the campaign that way i gave you guys magical item shopping lists to go get all your shit and you guys spent like days saying i want this i want this this is my cool thing I'm gonna build my character around it like okay you wake up and all your shit's gone you're like fucking what and And i'm pretty sure
2: (laughs) So many episodes just to get our original shit back, and then like to the point where I forgot what I had. Like that's how guys, long it took to get our that's
1: a level two. When you, you got your shit back,
2: <laughs> to this day, I think we're now on like episode fifteen. I used my magical item once because I'm like, I have that.
1: <laughs> anyway. Well, it's not my fault you don't look at your character sheet.
2: It's very true. Items, fuck that.
1: I'm a monk. And I use my fists. Yeah,
2: I punch and I hit shit. But as the last regional effect is the Supernatural Lure, which is uh, all entrances of the lair specifically are enchanted with a DC 15 wisdom save or be charmed to move closer towards it kind of thing. So I feel like their entire lair is built to pull you in. And the reason why I feel this is very characteristic of these things is it wants to collect. So not only does it just collect things, but it does collect creatures. It collects everything that it wants. So if you go into one of these islands or these um layers, you're gonna find creatures from all over that have ended up here and been charmed to stay or like what have you. So you're gonna find things and beings and maybe old adventurers that just got stuck here because they're constantly being charmed into staying here.
1: It's so, kind of like uh like benicio del Toro in Gardens of the Galaxy.
2: Yeah that's very similar. Yeah. Yeah very much so. I like you you're pretty I'm gonna keep you <laughs> You're, I've never seen this a creature like you now. before. I'm going to keep this, right? Oh, like, shut up.
1: She's talking to me and I'm feeling better.
2: <laughs> Adam, you're pretty.
1: <laughs> that touches me so deeply and personally. I got to go. Guys. Yeah,
2: this is how you make Adam cry. Yeah, <laughs> Be nice to him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's kind of get into its stats. This is the stat block that can be found in the Mordenkidens Presents the Monsters of the Universe. It's the updated version. You can also find an old build in the Volos book, uh, but there are minimal differences except, of course, the larger is removing the damage resistances. But also a couple of the spells are a little bit different, but not too different. So basically what you're looking at is the challenge rating of 11 for these guys. Uh, Within their layer, they do up to a challenge rating of 12, very similar to the previous one we spoke about. Uh, They have a National Arbor class of 17, uh, a bucket of hit points. And as you pointed out, they do have a 25 speed, but their swim speed is 50. So it would be really stupid for them not to build their layer underwater, or at least create it so that their water exists within their dwelling um they are above average in pretty much all of their stats uh except for their intelligence is super high their intelligence is a plus five that is their spell modifier so that would explain why it is where it is plus their mind fuckery creatures so that definitely makes sense they have saving throws in decks and and wisdom uh with skills in arcana history obviously history is plus nine not as good as the but still pretty smart uh their perception though is plus 10 again speaks to the fact that they know when you're on their island uh with a stealth of plus six For their senses, they do have blind sight of 30 feet, dark vision of 120, and a passive perception of 20. So you can't sneak up on one of these things, obviously. So as you mentioned, they are amphibious. It basically means they can breathe air and water. So no matter what happens within their lair, they'll be able to breathe through it. So that's definitely, in my mind, a good combat play. Speaking of combat, they do have a multi-attack where they can do two bites um, or use their tentacles, obviously. I don't feel like there's going to be a lot of opportunity for them to use their bite. I feel like they're going to swap you with their tentacles a lot, and then again use their mind because they are spellcasters.
1: So they're going to they're going to what us with their tentacles? Swap. swap. Okay, that's what I thought you said. All right.
2: Swap. Do you want me to say it one more time for you?
1: Yes, please. Swap.
0: Thank
2: you. Don't.
0: Um, this is a children's show.
2: <laughs> is it? <laughs>
0: nah, no, I, I didn't
2: sign up for that. <laughs> But again, they are spellcasters, so they do have the ability to cast the following spells without any spell components. Um, it's going to be Darkness, Dimension Door, spell Magic, Lightning Bolt, and Sending. So again, a lot of good Minecraft like spells. The Lightning Bolt one I find interesting because they are underwater and they don't have any resistances. So I can't imagine them Lightning Bolting themselves, but that's fine. Um, and again, they do also have their hypnosis capability, which is um, a 30-foot cone of magical energy. That is a DC 17 Wisdom save, or else become charmed to move in towards them. They do have a really cool thing called spell reflection, which basically means that if you make, if it has to make a saving throw against a spell or a spell attack, or if a spell attack misses, it can send that spell back to someone else. So it basically can choose another creature, that includes the spellcaster themselves, uh, and it's within 120 feet. So that's a pretty far distance in my mind. Uh, And then it forces you to do a spell saving throw or be hit by whatever spell, etc. So it basically just says, oh, I'm sorry, that spell that you're trying to hit me with or that that fireball that you threw into this room, great, eat it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I say no.
2: Yep, so... I know you didn't ask how big the room was, but I also did not ask how big that tunnel was. So here you go. Fireball. <laughs> awesome. So that is basically the Mork-off. Uh I love them. I think they're great. I didn't know what it was until, you know, we started like talking about this episode. But like, I really enjoy them a lot. Because for my kerfuckery, like, it just seems like a lot of fun. But let's get into it. Let's roll dice and we'll we'll talk questions.
3: Okay.
2: I rolled a nine.
3: Eight. Oh, a (gasps) 10.
2: Kyle, are you first?
3: Yeah, ding, ding, ding,
0: chicken winner.
2: I like how you're first on a 10, but you're welcome. All right, quest ideas. What are your thoughts for these?
0: Shut up. (laughs) Uh, So I love how flexible these guys are and how just uh, like banana crazy, right? Like they basically just have their own floating island that's traveling through the cosmos and all the planes Maybe at random, maybe they get to choose where they're going. Uh, first of all, I think they would make a great uh reoccurring NPC for any Spelljammer campaign, right? Like They just yeah. kind of appear. They could be like your floating store that just keeps coming back. Um, But uh, I think I'd likely use them for like a character-driven story arc, like someone or something important to a certain character is trapped on the island and now your party has to figure out, first of all, how to find the Morkoth, right? And then also figure out how to get whatever it is they want back. Are they gonna barter with a powerful artifact? Are they going to retrieve something for the Morkoth? Or are they gonna maybe risk a breakout on its island?
2: It's a good heist episode,
0: Um, yeah. Yeah, right? Uh, Or instead, um, maybe they need somebody who's on the island uh, who is the only person who knows how to defeat their current foe, right? Because in part of the flavor text, it was talking about um, there's some people on the island that could be from a lost civilization from like thousands of years ago. Yeah. That just became trapped there. And now all of a sudden they're the only people left.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I like for. Um my idea was going to be kind of along the same lines of like looking into the different beings that are on this, this planet. And again, I'm looking at my, my theme for this episode is very much backstories of your PCs. And one of the things that I thought of was that you were like Willow style for those, again, if you're better than Terry and you've seen the movie, Willow and the show and the show now, actually, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you were now birthed from beings that exist on this planet, on this little planet. And they knew that the Abolith was going to be so obsessed with you because you were like birthed from like two different old civilizations that oh, no, no, have now no, no, created you, this new creature.
1: You, you mean the Morkoth? You said the Abolith.
2: Sorry, Morkoth. Sorry, you're correct. Do you
1: want to keep talking about Abolith? Talk I about don't.
2: Abolith. I'm done with Abolith. You know <laughs> that I'm done with Abolith. Um, but yeah, it's like you're now this new special weird breed of creature that was birthed and like they set you off the island. Like they found a way for you to escape. But because the Morcoth knows where all of its belongings are, it knows where you are at all times and will eventually find oh. you. Oh, I like that a lot. Right? Like, like that's yeah. why, like, it's, again, a side quest to someone's backstory. This Morcoth will eventually appear. And, or you end up accidentally on its island and you're, like, your parents know who you are. And they're, like, oh, my God, get off the fucking planet. Like, are yeah. you stupid? We risked our lives to save your life and you're here? Get off. <laughs>
0: And the Morkoth is just like, oh, my collector's item is back.
2: It's back. <laughs> <laughs> my collector's item. Collection edition. <laughs> what about you, Adam?
1: Okay, now bear with me because you're going to be pissed here for a second.
2: Throw down.
1: So, oh. so your party's hunting an aboleth. Yeah. And as you're hunting the aboleth, you are looking through all of these weird, wet caves on an island. And you think this is a great place to find it. Um, And you pass by... Uh, what looks like a, an opening, like a chiseled out cave opening, and uh, you get all of your players to roll, uh, roll dice. I don't often, uh, every once in a while, I'll just say roll a d20, and they don't know what this roll is, but uh, you make them all roll dice. Um, they'll think that this is like a perception check, but it's actually a DC 15 Wisdom saving throw against their regional effect supernatural lure. And they have no idea because they, they think they're hunting an abolith. But in reality, there's a Morkoth that is living here. That is in a parasitic relationship with the abolith. And the abolith lets it live because it's good to have a red herring out there and they'll find this guy first and kill him. That's fine. But the Morkoth, every time the abolith enslaves somebody makes an, an abolith spawn, they don't need their shit anymore. So the Morkoth, like every night comes out like, all right, what, what, what did these guys leave behind? It's, you like your your one big um, crazy item that's your heart's desire. You neglect everything else, and the Morkoth will swoop in and be like, mine, 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 mine. You can be obsessed with the thing that doesn't exist. I'm getting all of your shit. So yeah. this is on the outskirts of a village or of a small civilization that the Avalith controls, and the Morkoth just has this weird little labyrinth. But the best part about it is your guys will go in and you just get them to keep rolling, but the rolls are nonsense because part of the supernatural lore is that they instinctively know the right way to go. So anybody that failed is going to start to just know the right way. Doesn't matter what they rolled. Go left, go right, go left. There's a, there's six different ways. Do you take the fourth one? The mm-hmm. third one has some fresh smell. And they think that they're coming up with this information on their own, but you're just giving them the information too fast for them to write it down until they come upon the Morkoth and realize, oh, shit, I didn't realize I was heading towards this creature. And what is this creature? And how do we get out? Mm-hmm. I like that And, and it, it, it will tell you how. But first, it wants your shit.
2: Yeah. I take it stuff.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'll, I will show you the way out. You will probably die down here like everybody else because it's a labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, or we could fight, or you could just give me your shit. Yep.
2: Yeah, give me your stuff. And it's just like, well, I already have, like, nine half-elves. You can go, but, like, I want your stuff.
1: Like yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, Not a collector's you, item. You, you punish the players that wanted to throw your fucking world. They're like, oh, there's only elves, dwarves, and humans. And I'm like, I rolled up a gone. Fine. I've never seen a gone before. You're staying. Elves, you bore me. Fuck off.
2: <laughs> you bore me. <laughs> yeah basic
1: exactly
2: <laughs> and then the poor bunny's just like uh ah. guys <laughs> guys and it convinces that like again because they're charmed so they'll just be convinced be like oh okay bye <laughs>
0: yeah no <yeah. laughs>
2: oh oh dear speaking of which role play ideas kyle uh
0: okay so i i think this a Morkoth would be devious. I also think it would think more with its stomach than its greed because, I mean, in the flavor text, it talks a lot about, like, oh, well, I'll, I'll trade my services for food slaves, right? So that's that's a big um, what's the word I'm looking for? A big determinant of how it's going to proceed, right? Like I think you can bargain with its stomach more than anything else. Um, I think if it's In a social situation, it is only going to care about what it gets in return for everything else. Uh, And it will betray you the second it suspects any sort of weakness in you.
2: Yeah. The fact that you're playing on the food part brings me to, um, and Dan would love this, but another Dragon Ball Z reference. Uh, Beerus is a god of destruction who has an obsession with food and will spare your life if you can provide him with food that is delicious. And his favorite foods come from Earth.
1: Megan so. oh, <laughs> the chef beat really coming in
2: handy yeah, yeah. the chef beat
1: <laughs> M- megan this is about the 100th time you've brought it up and i need to tell you that we're in vancouver canada it's pronounced dragon ball Z.
2: oh god get the fuck out of here. <laughs> No one likes that, Adam. Um, But yeah, my my ideas for role play would definitely be playing on its obsessive compulsive behavior, where it just gets super excited about new items and new things, right? Um, So, like, if you end up on the island and you're surrounded by, like, your same kind, you know that you're probably not going to be wanted or taken over or what have you, but all of the magical items that you have on your being, it's going to want to take And this is going to be an episode where one of your players loses their magical item. And, like, it's going to be obsessed with it. And, like, if you even... I feel like it's almost like an item where as soon as you are on the island... And this is, again, another conversation about layer effects and how things work. But once you're on that island, every item that belongs to you... Now the uh, Morkoth thinks that that item belongs to them because it's on the island. So its ability to track that item is going to be able... It it, it can now. So even if you were to leave... It now knows where your magical sword is because at one point it did belong to it because you were on their island, right? And I feel like that would just play into its obsessive-compulsive behavior being like, oh, I, that was here and now it's gone. I'm going to go find it. And it will reappear oh. every once in a while.
0: I like so. that. Mm-hmm. Where it uh, it's, you really give a player a sort of, emotional moment especially if it's something uh, an item that's tied to their backstory right where yeah. it's like oh what like you're really asking like what is more important here
2: yeah i love or it's like okay you can have your herring gum bat your friend back but i want your sword mm-hmm. then it's like okay am i going to give up my ancestral sword or get my friend back
0: sword yeah i love that idea
2: yeah always sword the answer sword. is always get my ancestral sword <laughs> back. <laughs> Yeah, every time. It doesn't I can even buy
0: new friends. A... I
2: can't buy new swords. 100%. <laughs> it doesn't
1: It doesn't have to be an ancestral sword. It just has to be sharp. Yeah.
2: <laughs> For me, absolutely. I agree. What about you, Adam? Role playing.
1: Um, okay, so I'm going to lean into the typically chaotic evil. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy is going to uh, be chaotic when he bargains, and I think he's going to bargain. Intelligence, 20, mm-hmm. right? Wisdom, 15. Charisma, 13 pretty decent bargainer um this is where you as a dm get to get so he's gonna know he's not gonna get the ancestral sword off you but you got a lot of other magic shit including like potions and scrolls and he could probably get that stuff as long as you make sure that you still keep your ancestral sword and he'll devalue this he'll offer to trade you other things and with hypnosis bringing you in closely with the um the locate creatures and objects, lost possession, supernatural lore—like there's a lot going on for this guy to kind of be in control of the situation and detect magic, so he'll know exactly what's magical and what is it. You can't stop that. Mage hand—he can take it. And I like the idea of him throwing it all into a pit, but he just tosses it into magical darkness. So if your guys go in after it, they fall into a fucking pit. Yeah. Pit <laughs> um,
2: of darkness.
1: But the thing that's really fucking nasty about him, as far as the uh, role playing side goes, is he's going to bargain with you, and if he doesn't get his way, I'd roll a d six for this, and like, um, on or I'd roll like a d twenty, and on a one he attacks, and on a eighteen plus he's just angry and doesn't cut you as good a deal. But there's a bunch of like different qualifying effects. He has Dispel Magic, and you have magic items you won't give him. And if he can't have them, neither can you. So now your magical plus three sword is a sword. No more magic. (laughs)
2: Fuck you. Yeah. (laughs) Emotional trauma.
1: Uh, (laughs) Absolutely.
0: Par for the course from what I expect from Adam.
1: Well, you have to keep in mind, too, that as a DM, you're going to set this up. Enrage your players. They're going to be super pissed off. But then they're going to fight this thing because, of course, they will because you're D&D players. There's no negotiating. You're like, can I have your sword? And they'll be like, fireball! Right? So that's that's the negotiation your average D&D player does. And once they've killed the Morkoth, then they just go loot its shit and get a plus four sword. Right? Like, it will be okay when you target the things besides the ancestral items. Yeah. Right? You you can take away. that That potion of healing is really now just a cherry Coke right? But it's okay because there's three more potions of healing, you know, four rooms away.
2: That's fair. Yeah.
0: I like that. Oh, yeah, because it's so intelligent, right? It might lay out um, false positives, I guess. Yeah,
2: yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Exploration and clues. Kyle?
0: Uh, I think it would be really fun to have to track down a Morkha. So, like, you have to travel to all these exotic locales and find clues about where their little island is going to hit next, right? And so uh, maybe you can predict the path, or maybe you can figure out where it's already come from. And it'd be like kind of a new spin on a chase sequence. And you could mm. break this up the whole time with like filler quests at each location, while still having this overarching quest to find the Smorkoth.
2: Yeah. Now, I feel like if you were to end up on one of these islands, it's first. It's going to be weird that there are so many different types of creatures here, and there's like almost no doubles. It's like it's almost wants to collect one of everything kind of thing. And then like, oh, there's all these magical items everywhere. Like if your character was to use like whatever whatever that spell is to feel magic, what is it? Um, to feel magic abilities, everybody fucking uses it. Detect magic. Detect detect magic. Like it would just be like overwhelming with how many items and things are surrounding you, right? Like that's going to be the exploration piece and your, your team is going to be so excited to be here. And like, think of all these magical items we're going to get. Oh, this is magical item episode, (laughs) but really it is. No, it is the DMs like weird way of just being like, nah, I got to try and take your rare character or your rare items away from you, but good luck. And then if you do happen to escape the planet, With an item that it owns, it's going to haunt you forever. And then that's going to be a thing in your DM back pocket to bring back every once in a while, right?
0: Oh, my God. Okay, so building off what you said and what Adam said, your party gets onto this island while it's floating through, like, the nether space between planes. Hmm. And then your party tries to do the herder I'm negotiating and then murders this thing. And then the island starts to split apart. So there's all these magical items around you, and you can't get shit before it just
2: fizzles, fizzles away.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think. I think. <laughs> like chaotic evil. So here's my exploration. As you're walking through. You realize that all of the ceilings in this layer are held up by very, very thin pillars and every pillar about 10 feet up in the air has a very strong chain wrapped around it and the chains all disappeared into holes in the walls and so when you go to talk to the Morkoth he's sitting there we has got one tentacle wrapped around 70 chains and if he's gonna die the last thing he does is just cave in the fucking roof
2: yeah because like it's that goes back to that vindictive part of just like if i can't have it no one can all of my items will be destroyed
1: but i have a meta reason for this too like it's funny it's neat it's good as far as like the narrative goes but my reasoning is i want to dangle a bunch of high powered magic items in front of the players and the only thing between them and this and these magic items is this one creature, good or evil, they will fucking slay that creature and get those items. And now I've got a power creep issue in my game. So I have to take those items away. Maybe they can each get one, but each one of the items is under a glass dome in, in a pillar that's 40 feet away from the next item, right? And so you have enough time to get to one of these glass domes before the scene. Uh, yeah, it's also like a teachable moment, right? Like, hey, yeah, sure,
0: you can try this. But, I mean, maybe also in the future, try to think outside the box. Yeah. Right? Don't make violence your first uh, solution. We will
2: always try and teach our players not to use violence as the first solution, but it will always be the first solution, and we know that.
0: <laughs> yeah, a lot of the time.
2: Speaking of which, combat, Kyle. <laughs> uh,
0: so I think of the Morkoth as an ambush predator. It's smart. It's not going to go far away from its home turf. So you're never really going to find it outside of its own layer. Um, and it will bargain in quote unquote, good faith at first. Uh, but if it sh- senses a shift in power dynamic or a growing hostility in the party, uh, it is going to pull out all the stops, right? Like it is going to try to run. Uh, but I also th- think is going to like think with its stomach, right? Like it likes to eat. And that is its main priority. So I would use, I would just try to like hammer the party with hypnosis, hide in magical darkness, and then catch someone in the tentacles and the dimension door away to somewhere else. And then they could just eat the party one member at a time, right? Like, uh, what is it? Separate and conquer.
2: Yeah, love that. Yeah. No, I feel like similar to the abolith, the Morkoth is going to use its um, layer to its advantage. Like how I mentioned right at the beginning where the fact that it can change the way the water works within its tunnels, I think it would use to its advantage quite a bit because there have been times where like I've been in like dungeon diving and there's like a magical item at the bottom of a pool. And I feel like Adam's going to recognize this story in the sense where we had to figure out a way to get this magical item out of this pool of water. Yep. Like that whole process, right? And you're going to go down with like, you're going to dive in, your one character is going to go down and be like, oh man, I can breathe in this water. And then all of a sudden you can't, right? And don't get me wrong, like we've talked about the drowning mechanic and the fact that you can technically survive for quite some time. But then the water gets murky, and then you can't see anything, right? It's it's trying to trap you and br- like get you closer to where it is. So you're gonna swim towards where the clear water is. And you're gonna eventually end up in its like cave dwellings, right? It's gonna use its items as traps for people that it knows are gonna be coming after its shit, right? So yeah, what
0: That's about you, Adam? Hella, de- hella devious. I,
2: oh, yeah. it's how I roll, man. It's how I roll.
1: <laughs> you wanna get hella devious? Let me tell you what I'm gonna do. Mm. Layer action on initiative count twenty. You do one of the following. Cast a spell. What spells? Darkness, Misty Step, or Dispel Magic every turn. Mm-hmm. Dispel Magic the uh, Arcane Focus. Dispel Magic the Cleric's um, Warhammer. Like, I'm going to Dispel Magic the Sorcerer. think <laughs> like stuff. <laughs> that, that just keels over dead, right? Like, d- Dispel Magic um, all of their shit. But you can do this as a layer action um, on initiative account 20. Which means you can do this 10 times a minute, which means get a uh, copy of all of the item lists from your players before the session starts and then see how long that they're going to sit there wandering through the lair where this thing can see them um, and maybe plunge them into darkness or um, hit them with a lightning bolt or get them lost in the tunnels. And then it's going to pop up, look at them, and roll initiative. He's going to cast Dispel Magic and then disappear into the water again. Mm-hmm. You're out of initiative. And now you don't have your druidic focus or your holy symbol.
3: Yeah.
1: And I'm just going to depower the party over and over and over again. If you're not going to give me your shit, then you don't get it either. And that is going to frustrate the shit out of them. But remember, these guys are going to keep their most prized possessions on their bodies which means if they think that they're losing if they think that lightning bolt and their tentacles are not going to get them out of trouble they will cast darkness retreat into the darkness and while they're concentrating on darkness cast dimension door and get the fuck out
2: yeah they're just yeah. going to disappear somewhere
1: yeah because yeah. they have all of the most important things with them already mm-hmm. and that's which now they-
2: includes your ancestral sword
1: <laughs> yeah Um, But that's what this is about, because this becomes uh, who's got the best items at the end of the day. The party wants what the Morkoth has. The Morkoth wants what the party has.
2: (gasps) Ooh, it takes and steals away like that NPC that everybody loves that is like a random like eric or something yeah. like that yeah it'll take that npc because it doesn't have one dimension door out of there and then your group can decide whether you go after or you continue on with the story right
1: yeah i did that uh in my evil campaign it was the last session we ever played it was right before christmas that we're going to take two months off and then the pandemic hit we never came back but the very last thing that happened was santa claus stole their beloved ogre it's true and uh mm-hmm. never to be seen again
2: bye bye <laughs>
1: He's still out there somewhere, probably oh, making toys.
2: It's true. All right. Well, that's some work off. What do we have left? What are we talking uh, about next?
1: Okay. So, a Balhanoth is, to put it
0: gently, a giant football with six tentacles and a mouth filled with jagged teeth, right? It is a mimic. It's an upgraded mimic, right? There's no real description of it in anything other than it is an oval shape with six tentacles and arms or six tentacles and a mouth.
1: Well, uh, it, it, it's more of a uh roper or a uh what, what are they called the fucking stalagmites and stalactites right like a mimic can be anything but these guys can't be anything right
0: uh yes and no i mean they can't change themselves but they can change the world around them right mm-hmm. uh to a much more powerful degree than a mimic ever could so Basically, they can warp a terrain within 500 feet of them. Or, like, uh, they can warp a 500-foot square into anything they want. Like, the terrain will change. So, you could go from, like, mountains to a plains in this, like, one little area. They can uh, also... Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They can create objects as well. They don't have the same uh, force as a real item, right? Like, so, if they made an object that's gold uh if a creature decides to investigate it they'll notice that it's like gold plating right or it'll just be like a piece of wood that has been carved and then painted gold so they, they don't change themselves but they hide everything around them and then they can also turn invisible for up to 10 minutes a time uh so they're CR 11 creatures originally hailing from the Shadowfell. uh they like to make layers that are close to populated areas and or along well-traveled roads so that they can snag occasional unsuspecting victims. Uh, they use their telepathy uh, along the lines of the Ableth um, to find their quarry's greatest desires, right? So if their target um, is really wants to find a safe place to rest or a temple devoted to their god or anything along those lines, uh, if they are within one mile of uh, the Balhanath, the belhanoth can sense it uh and then can warp uh the area around themselves to match that ideal um their favorite food uh tends to be victims fears and hopelessness-ness. hopelessness. hopelessness <laughs>
2: sorry their favorite food is your hopes and dreams
1: <laughs> yeah basically so right? they're they're dungeon master then
2: uh, yeah actually
0: actually it, adam i think if uh Someone made a monster, and they were like, "Oh, I gotta replicate Adam." They would come out with this one. This is it. This is the one. <laughs> this is the one. Yeah. This is a
1: big ass tentacle, isn't it?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one reason. Uh, but, but it's the, the mandibles. Mostly...
2: <laughs> <laughs> Adam is unimpressed. <laughs> no.
1: But no, sorry. I was trying to. I was trying to find a joke to have wo mandibles, and I'm like, "What would would, would they be?" Would they the be...
2: mandibles. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Would they be bigger or smaller? I feel like they'd be bigger because everything in nature, the female's bigger.
2: It's true. Girl sharks be crazy.
1: Yeah. Angler fish too. <laughs> I was thinking insects like the queen, the like the ant like compared to a worker ant? Holy shit. Amen. And then humans got it fucking backwards by just like genetics for no stupid fucking reason.
2: It's true. Yeah. Anyways, continue.
1: <laughs> anyway, Kyle. Uh, we're, we're, where
0: was I? Oh yeah. Okay. So their favorite food is fear and hopelessness. Uh so what they'll do is they'll basically find someone who is desperate for something and go, Hey, you should come on over here. And then this person walks over and they're like, Oh my God, this is exactly what I wanted. And then all of a sudden, this tentacled monster with giant teeth appears, grabs them, and then teleports away so that they can just slowly feed on their misery. It's really an awful creature, but I, I love them. Uh, so uh, they are also sometimes brought to the Material Plane as well uh, to be used as guards in Dungeons um, and the Underdark, often in the employ of Drow, uh, but also used by Mind Flayers, Abolus, Grimlocks, and Koatoa. Uh, Though Koa actually raised them from birth um, and just kind of trained them like guard dogs kind of thing.
1: That is, also That is fucking amazing, and I love everything about that. Yeah.
0: Also, I'm going to be honest, these seem like a terrible creature to have as a guard. Like, could you imagine losing your keys? And then this asshole gets in your brain and be like, I think you left them over here. And then... <laughs> this asshole? <laughs> <laughs> and then it, like, lures you over to this, like, secluded spot, and then just... I love
1: it. I, I, I'm sorry, what was that noise? No, no, no.
0: I, I assume that's the sound most creatures make when eating something.
2: Nom nom nom. Nom just nom more, nom. Just more aggressive.
0: <laughs> yeah. There's probably more squelching sounds in there too as well. I do love a good squelch. <laughs> Anyways. Um, for the stats, uh, they have an AC of 17 from natural armor, 114 uh, hit points, 25 feet of walking and climbing speed. Uh they have a decently high strength constitution and wisdom uh with con being the highest uh with a plus four uh while their dex intelligence and charisma are all below ten uh the lowest being intelligence which is a lowly negative two uh for skills and saving throws they have a plus eight to constitution and a plus six to perception Uh, which seems a little weird to me, but I'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, They are immune to being blinded, which makes sense, considering they have no eyes. Uh, They have 500 feet of blind sense, uh, with them being blind beyond that, uh, although they can detect creatures up to a mile away. Uh, They can understand deep speech and have telepathy also up to a mile. Two legendary resistances, uh, a multi-attack, where they can make two tentacle attacks and one bite attack. The bite. Uh, is plus seven to hit, five foot reach, 3d10 plus three piercing damage. And then the tentacles are also a plus seven to hit uh, with a 10 foot reach. And they deal 2d6 plus three bludgeoning damage while also grappling a creature and um, with a DC escape of 15. Uh, and then also each time a creature is hit with a tentacle, uh, they move five feet closer to the Balhanok. Uh, Basically just trying to like shovel creatures into their mouths. Uh, If a creature is grappled, uh, they can't use that one tentacle against another creature, but they have up to four tentacles that they can use. So they can grapple up to four different creatures at one time. Uh, They get three legendary actions. Where they can either bite a grappled creature, uh, they can teleport itself along with any equipment it's wearing and any creature it has grappled up to 60 feet away, which it just warms my heart. Uh Don't because you I just think
1: fucking love that. Don't you want to give that to anyone that can grapple? Nah, there isn't even a saving throw for
0: it, right? It's just like, no, nah, I want you over here now. Right.
1: Hmm. I have done that, I have added that to many, many creatures that can grapple and teleport, as Megan and Dan have learned the fucking hard way.
2: Yeah, this yeah. bitch. This, this asshole.
0: <laughs> we have learned. <laughs> Alright? Hey, right, adds that little extra mm, desperation to a rescue, right? I agree, absolutely. Wow. Uh, so they can also vanish where they can turn themselves invisible for up to 10 minutes, or until it attacks. Um, then there is the layer actions, which are kind of different versions of the same thing. Um, so they can choose to teleport one creature, like, other than themselves, that is within 500 feet of themselves, uh, to an unoccupied space within 60 feet of the Balhanaw. So you got that spellcaster hiding around on the outskirts, And then thinks they're so safe and then this guy's like not get over here right and just puts it right in front of them uh they also can make themselves vanish to a single creature so rather than just turning themselves invisible they just make themselves invisible to a single creature right um also within yeah also within 500 feet and also with a dc 16 wisdom saving throw um although instead of 10 minutes this will affect last uh for one minute or until the Balhanoth makes an attack against that creature, right? So you can still attack other creatures and be invisible to that person, which is like a really good thing if you have that just the one fighter that does crazy damage every time and you just you're like, I i just need a little space.
2: I need know? a minute. I just need a breather yeah. <laughs> thanks from your bullshit.
0: <laughs> Love it. Uh, Uh, And then it also has a warp terrain ability where I was saying earlier, it gets a 500 foot square that it can remake into the image of whatever desire that it detects in another creature. Uh, These warping things aren't perfect reproductions, right? Like if a creature spends an action investigating something, they'll notice all the discrepancies, right? So if they, there's a bunch of books, like at the library, they'll find all the books have empty pages or that there is, you know, like gold-plated items or a uh, counterfeit. Uh, they also can't reproduce anything that is of a living material, so they can't recreate a creature. Uh, and they also can't have any moving parts, so, and nothing in this area can have any magical properties. Uh so, so it's yeah, very like,
2: it's very much an illusion. Like, it's not like it's like an active operating existence of plane. Like, it's like an illusion. Yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the, what they are doing is they're trying to feed on a creature's desperation. Yeah. Right? So it, the idea is that, um, you know, desperation and carefulness is not going to go hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, they also get two regional effects, which... I think fit better as abilities than regional effects. Um, So there's the sense desire. So they can read the strongest want of any humanoid within a mile and learns if it's a place like a safe haven, a good place to have a long rest, their own home, a temple, etc. And then also supernatural lure where uh, creatures within a mile get the feeling that whatever they want the most is like just around the corner kind of thing. Hmm. And the closer they get to where the Balhanoth is, the stronger the uh the stronger the feeling gets as well. This is really similar to what the Morkoth had, right?
2: Yeah. But yeah. the Morkoth is like more along the lines of it just charms and makes it want to move towards it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And uh there's a lot less distance for the Morkoth as opposed to this one. One can, mile. Yeah. You know, one mile out. Um but I I do have a question for you guys. How would you deal with a supernatural lure without having a party get instantly suspicious, right? Like, how do you get each individual player to be like, hey, something you want is really close to you and your character is going to want to go in that direction but not have them be like, "Mm, there's no way you're being this
1: nice. If the character is fooled, by it being plausibly there, then the player needs to be fooled that it's plausibly there as well. So what I would do is I would have some sort of some sort of local legend that they hear about like fountain of youth ish kind of thing where they need this one thing to go fight the big bad evil guy of the campaign it's this one this one MacGuffin item that they desperately need and someone is like well why don't you just go talk to the genie out in the woods right or why don't you just go talk to the to the um high-powered wizard that's out there Ah, uh, go out into the woods and yell top of your lungs, And people say that they like they've seen it. The problem is sometimes they don't always come back. but but the object is there, and sometimes they do see it. and and the temptation is, Like, you're drawn to it. And I would lay it all out ahead of time like it's a real fucking thing, right? Mm -hmm. Because the locals would have some sort of knowledge about the existence of this in advance, right? Um, They will have seen the thing that they want the most and then have not gone after it and come back and been like, "I, I, I thought it would be too good to be true and now I'm... I regretted every day that I didn't go at least try, right? That kind of shit, and that is where I'd, that is where I'd start to drop the bits and pieces for the, uh, for the players to think about. I'm gonna do it before they see it.
2: Yeah, and I think the suspicion of it not being real is what makes them investigate it in the first place, right? They're not gonna be like, oh, this could potentially be a thing, and then not try and go after it. Like you can play on either side, like to Adam's point, of making it as real as possible but making it as fake as possible is also an option in the sense where like, again, it's the, this can't be true. What the fuck is this? Like I need to get to the bottom of what's trying to trick my mind. You know what I mean? So you can go either way in my mind. Okay. I like that. Yeah. Uh,
0: So these guys are pretty much unchanged. Um, They originally got published in Tomb of Foes and then republished in Monsters of the Multiverse. Uh, The only real change between the two is, uh, besides cutting down on the lore, like they did for most other monsters, is they took 1d10 off the bite attack uh, and got rid of the ability to make four tentacle attacks instead of two tentacles and one bite. Yeah. Um, so they cut down on I don't know, I guess the variability but
1: not by much. Mm-hmm. I never know why they do that. Like, stop rebalancing your shit.
2: Yeah. We're gonna change it as DMs anyways. Leave it the same. <laughs> All right, is that pretty much all you got?
0: That's all I got.
2: All right, well, let's roll some dice now. and chat out some stuff.
1: Dice. Thirteen. That is the second natural one I've rolled today. Adam. Oh, I'm coming number two with a six.
2: Amazing. All right, I'll answer my own questions. Quest ideas. I like the fact that, like, Adam combined two of these and one. I'm going to combine two in these ones. I would like the idea that these would be the guardians of a Morgoth's layer (laughs) and it's one of their ways of being able to like pull you in via your desires they have similar mental magic they're gonna collect them because they think they're cool and then basically they will collect the 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 ones it can go either way i feel like they would collect the pcs that they either find interesting to try and try and bring them into the layer if they're unfooled or they're going to pick and pull away the ones that they don't want and let the ones that they do want to make it to the center of their layer. And then your team has to kind of decide whether or not they are going to go after their friends who were just taken and disappeared, or continue to be mind fuckery to make their way down into the layer of the Morkoth.
0: So these are the bouncers.
2: Yeah, they're the bouncers. They're the ones, and again, you can go either way. They either take the the ones that it wants to like enslave into its community or they'll take the ones away that like they're like oh these this is trash take that one away and i'll take the, i'll let the ones that i want to keep come back into my lair right
1: could you oh. imagine if there was a a agreement between an aboleth a morkoth and a balhana to, to work together oh my god <laughs>
2: I would hate it, but as a player, I think this is really fucking confusing, but as a DM, I think it would be a hell of a lot of fun to try and balance. I also yeah. think it
1: would be funny because you would have this one big old island, right? And, like, they're, <laughs> it's relatively roundish, and there are, are different civilizations, and all three, you know, three, three, you divide into thirds, and there's one civilization. Each one of them has a weirdly different story about the tentacle monster that offers you everything that you want.
2: Yeah, that's really cool.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, I like that.
2: Yeah, that's really cool. Anyway. Who's next? Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, that, hi. that would be me. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I think this one is kind of hard uh, because I think for the most part, it's going to greatly depend on what your party is like um, in terms of how it's going to appear. Uh, but I really like, it. I'm going to steal the idea out of a flavor text um, and just I really want to fuck up an unaware party, right? So let's say your party is wandering the Underdark, and uh, like, I don't think I would have a specific place that I would put it. I would wait until the party gets to a vulnerable enough space or condition, right? Where they're going to be more likely to be lured somewhere. And so, you know, they're making their way through the Underdark, and all of a sudden, one of them spots a hole high up in the wall and then they climb up there they find like a desiccated corpse you know in the middle of wrapping itself in a bandage uh and there's like a fireplace right next to them you know a bunch of corded wood ready to go and it just looks like the ideal place to have a long rest but if the party is smart they would go hey doesn't seem kind of like a couple of these seem kind of strange and you could kind of warn them uh, with, if they inspect the corpse, uh, they might notice that, you know, the bones don't quite match up. Like there's a bunch of bones from a different creatures inside it. And then they might also be like, why would this creature make a fire before wrapping themselves up? And then also question, why is there a bunch of corded wood from the surface in this hole in the Underdark?
2: I love right. that you're consuming that your group is going to assume or is going to question. A nice place to take a long rest. Like because, <laughs> they're just gonna be like, nice. We take a yeah. long rest. <laughs> I want to give them the
0: benefit of the doubt, right? Like
2: that's fair. You should always good hope on you. That your party makes the best decision. They do not. I like that you muted yourself, Kyle.
1: No, that was me. I clicked on the wrong person. That's the second time I've fucking done that. You Sorry, muted no,
2: Kyle. <laughs> was he was going off. He was going off.
0: Yeah, but plan for the best, or no, hope for
1: the best, plan for the worst.
2: Yeah, that's fair. What about you, Adam? Quest.
1: Okay, so imagine if an Aboleth and a Morkoth and a Balhaneth all worked together and had some sort of arrangement on an island. I had something else for this, and then I shut off my mouth too early, and I'm circling Mm -hmm. back, and I like this better. Um, I just think that it would be really neat to have um, a big... Like tier three, there's there's not a whole lot of really fun shit in tier three without you digging into fiends, mm-hmm. right? There's a lot of good fiends and dragon stuff in tier three. Uh, but we've got this weird trifecta of, um, of, uh, like tentacles. Yeah. Like aberrations that are so similar and yet not at all alike.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and your party. Is going to have trouble going from one to the other to the other, but the fact that they're like CR10, CR11, and CR12, but each one of them can seriously pack a punch and fuck everything up, is is really interesting. And if they go after the Morkoth first, hmm. they may not have magic items to go after the other ones. If they go after the Abilith first, they may be super paranoid coming after the other ones. Right? So. I don't know I look uh, for me I'm combining the three of them Megan forget that you ever heard this because we're gonna do this in our campaign
2: god damn it Adam
1: yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> I hate it when ideas uh, that we come up with here together are ones that you're gonna use against me
1: <laughs> I recently did that with a sorrow sworn and the look that you gave me was absolute disgust
2: I was horrified <laughs> that's fine only, remember this kindness i will be your 60% dm one day
1: of the party died i don't know what you're complaining about <laughs>
2: my character survived i'm okay
1: <laughs> yeah i mean you lost your sidekick in the love of your life but whatever right you know, I, it,
2: yeah what's a little emotional trauma for a DD player you know uh.
1: <laughs> okay so adam
0: i i just want to add this uh because i thought it was an interesting addition to the lore um it didn't it, i i couldn't find anything that backs it up in any sort of the
1: mechanics but um well welcome to fifth ed where the lore and the mechanics are just like kind of distant cousins
0: oh yeah, i i try i tried to dig into like 4e and 3e as well and i couldn't find anything but um one of the things it said was that they feed on magical energy right so uh when they're young they they they're born through laying eggs and it takes about three months between laying and hatching and for all that time the egg has to be close to a magical item or within a magical area of effect. And that's also, uh, when they grab something with their tentacles, it will kill all magical abilities. So if your player is wearing a cloak, right, with a magical ability, if they're grappled, they can't use that cloak. It's basically a dispel magic when they're grappled.
2: Oh, my God. If- okay, I know you say you can't really back this up in any of the writings legitimately anywhere, but could you imagine if these things were birthed in the lair of a Morkoth because there's so many fucking magical items there? Oh, that this love is where that. Where they go to lay their eggs and where they go to be birthed.
1: You don't have a Balhanath. You have the Balhanath. And the Morkoth has collected it. Yeah, and is trying to make it as big and as powerful as possible to become this mythic level creature by feeding it the magic items. But I really like this one, so he doesn't get this one. So it
2: gets the the extras, right? Like,
1: so yeah, and then and this whole thing is happening, and and the Abolith is there to allow it to happen because if this thing can get mythic level, we're gonna set it loose on a god because this thing doesn't just feed off magic. You don't simply feed on something without consuming it. And the magic of the gods is directly connected to the weave. So if we have something that feeds on magic, what'll it do when it feeds on a god? Oh,
0: man. Oh, my God.
1: There we go. I've tied it together. That's it.
2: We f- <laughs> we figured something out, guys. Like this is amazing.
1: Yeah. Like that's it. Cancel the rest of the podcast. We've done it. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. figured
2: it out. We figured out the ultimate. Oh God.
1: And this is tier tier three. Like we we could do this. And I mean, look at the art of the Bahanath and tell me that you don't just pull off the tentacles and give it a carapace, and it's a Tarrasque right like it's going to it's going to just beef itself up I would reskin the Tarask to be uh, like I'd give it I'd give this thing all the Tarask abilities as well as all of the Balhanath abilities um, with the mobility of the Tarask for my giant god killer monster at the end of a campaign this is amazing
2: I don't feel like we can I don't feel like we can top this
1: (laughs) well uh let's just go to an
4: an ad break then (laughs) yeah (laughs) If you've been inspired by the conversation. No, hold on. We have more to do, right? There's we do, do.
2: But in my mind, I'm like, I don't know if we're going to get any better than what we just discovered. But like, uh. <laughs> we can try, though. Um, so that's all quest stuff. Yeah. Um, so role play. When thinking about role play. Was I first? I think I'm first.
0: Am I yeah. first? You are first. Yeah. I'm
2: Phenomenal. Last. Um, I feel like this one of the three doesn't have a lot of role cape. capabilities because like again it's going to be similar to the abolith where if it's going to speak it's going to speak through its telepathy and its mind brain but like I don't feel like it gives it and bodes it enough personality other than it is just there to destroy and be a bodyguard like to me anyways until it is like larger and more sentient like we now have in like our new our new theory here. But it's in my mind it doesn't have a lot of lore and backstory in fifth edition that is usable to determine a personality. Like, you guys can mm. prove me wrong, though.
0: No, I 100% agree. I mean, it's got six intelligence, right? Like, it's it, it's not a very mm, subtle creature, right? Yeah. It is It is a walking stomach. And you're not even going to have the chance to enter into any sort of conversation before it attacks, right? Like, it's going to stay invisible until it fucking hitting you with a tentacle and trying to draw you into its mouth.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's my theory too. Um...
1: What else has an intelligence of six? Um, an ape, a displacer beast, a dolphin, a gargoyle, minotaurs, uh, the monster, not the not the playable race. Fair enough. Uh, mummies, red slods, nightwalker. Um, like there's,
2: they're just out to destroy, kill, and eat. you know what i mean like it's not going to stop to have a conversation with you it's going to use its abilities to make you edible
1: yeah 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 and it's it's charisma is it's got a negative modifier to it but that just means that it's gonna it's not gonna be able to understand some social situations It's not gonna be able to tell who the biggest one in the party is who's the big threat here right or who the leader is like it's gonna be able to do that but your subtle stuff it might have trouble understanding if you're lying to it you may get away with it, right? Yeah. Not, that, not yeah. that you necessarily would. You're but.
2: still you're still food, whether you lie to it or not. It's still like, mm, I'm, st- I'm still going to yeah. eat you.
1: But I, but I would say <laughs> its wisdom is high, and its wisdom is high not because it is wise. It's just, I fucking hate this, this misnomer of wisdom. It is just hyper aware of its surroundings. with That blind side of 500 feet um and like it doesn't even have eyes it just fucking knows yeah it just, it's not tremor sense it's not like true sight or, or any, it just fucking sees it just knows like it's not even daredevil it just sees it just does deal with it as magic and so it knows everything about its surroundings and that's why its wisdom is so high because it's going to make perception checks it's going to understand the basic survival checks and shit like that because it knows its environment so well Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. but I would not say it it has to be able to
0: it has to be able to read what your desires are and try to replicate them as close as possible right so it has to have some sort of not comparison but I mean
1: emotional intelligence enough to
0: know what a desire is yes exactly
1: well yeah yeah, but but it's it's going to like there are going to be things out there you think about it like this all of the sorrow sit at roughly six intelligence, right? And they are very much about what this one instinct, this one feeling is. For the Belhanath, that one feeling is desire, is going to know that better than anything. And I think that if you were to actually get a proper wisdom score too, that's, that's not based on the surrounding environment but how wise this creature is it's probably like a six i bet mm-hmm. the charisma is the best thing about the mental stats here and so with that we would say that it's probably more intuitive when it comes to desires but there's their limits like you said it can't do um it can't do organic material right um, so it can only go so far it would understand desire the way that you desire the way that you desire uh, an item or you're envious of somebody else's clothing or something but it will not understand hunger or lust in other yeah. creatures it'll understand its own hunger but it it doesn't understand because it it's not going to replicate organic material to feed you it's not yeah. going to understand lust because it it does it can't replicate other creatures for that kind of desire so this thing is all going to be about luring you with specifically items and it's going to know exactly that shit, but it's not going to understand necessarily why, which is interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um keeping in mind that it will know what your desire is based on this the sword that you've seen, but it may not understand that the sword under some uh, it'll oh it glows blue in the presence of some creature sometimes, but it's not gonna know inherently that uh the Uh, the scabbard is made out of specifically this kind of leather. It's just not going to get that. It'll just be regular leather. But if you do...
2: it's like it knows what it looks like, not what it feels like, and not what the material yeah. is like. Yeah, right.
1: And that—that's kind of the point that I—that I was trying to make. Like you could do. We don't have appraise anymore, but I wish we did. It used to be a skill, and I because I think that you you could roll a moderate appraisal check and and get past this this illusion that this gives. Yeah. Um, instead, we get What is investigation? Is the best that we're gonna get. Um, yeah. And. Yeah. So it's going to want that. That's kind of my other thing, as opposed to the Morkoth and the Aboleth with this guy. Um, I think that patience is not a strong suit. When you get close enough, that's good enough. Hit now. The yeah. Morkoth and the Aboleth are going to talk. This thing understands deep speech, but it doesn't speak it, has no need mm-hmm. to. Right. So that's it pretty kind much
0: of, only uses telepathy to read your desires. Right. And yeah, and it's then, and then create them in
1: front of you. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. It, it's not. It's not about talking to you. I mean, technically, it is. Rules is written, it has telepathy. It can, it can whisper things to you, and and you will understand it. But I, uh, I, I do think that this is all about also the invisibility thing. It, it's gonna be invisible before you ever see it. So it's gonna oh, yeah. give you the thing, and it's gonna be right beside it. So it can pop up and eat. This is an ambusher, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, that's kind of a combat tactic. But you think about it from a role play perspective too. When it creates this object, it's going to put it within 10 feet of itself.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of brings us to the next point, which is going to be the explorations and clues. It would be like, yes, you're in this area that suddenly, to our point earlier, you're in a safe space to have a you know long or short rest or what have you. But if someone takes 10 minutes to investigate the fire or takes a minute to investigate the weapons that are on the walls or takes a moment to investigate anything in this area... Like, they're going to be able to maybe get past its illusion, Mm. but then to your point, Adam, they're going to be right there, be like, oh, shit, and then just, (laughs) and then snatch, because they're just like, oh, they they found out my ruse, but I'm still right here, you know? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Yeah, by the time they realize their mistake, it's already too late, kind of thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. They might
0: be able to escape a surprise round, but that's it. Yeah. Like, that's as far as they're going to get.
2: Pretty much. What about you, Kyle? Any other thoughts on exploration and clues?
0: Uh, I mean, honestly, the only thing I could think of for this is you could maybe leave some trappings of whoever their owner is. If you encounter this outside of the Shadowfell, like if you're in the Underdark or... Actually, pretty much only in the Underdark is where you'll find them in the Material Plane. So you might leave, I don't know, like house symbols of a drow or, yeah, it says that it Grimlocks or Mind Flayers might also use them. So you might figure out who or what owns it. But mm-hmm. other than that, no, there's no real talking
1: with this yeah, thing.
2: It's true. What about you, Adam?
1: Um, I'm looking at the warp Terrain Layer Action. Um. I'm going to have to do my digging ahead of time when I'm prepping my session. I'm really going to have to spend some time with this to figure out in what ways the environment is fake. Mm-hmm. Because it lists, like, you know, there's no writing in the books and gold items are are clearly counterfeit and all that shit. But, like, there's got to be stuff. Do you think hinges work?
2: Like if there's a door? No, moving, open. Pieces.
1: no moving pieces. No moving pieces. No, every Every door is propped open. How long before your players figure that out? A while. Remember how dumb we were talking about? (laughs) Yeah. But, But it's things too, because like you'd walk into a kitchen and the kitchen would be full of stuff sitting on the stove but there'd be nothing in the pot because we can't make organic material.
2: Or there will be something in the pot, but it's like made of wood.
1: Yeah, Yeah. It, it, yeah it, it's going to be things that are just a little a little bit off over and over and over again. And I think that that's, that's really interesting and, and really fun. My big thing, do you think it can teleport and do its vanishing act at the same time? Like, is it teleporting while invisible? Yeah, because it's only an attack roll that makes it visible again.
2: Yeah, I, th- yeah, I would rule that. That works.
1: Normally, if you cast a spell, that makes you drop your invisibility, but if this isn't the invisible spell. Yeah,
2: and it, it specifically right? says just when it is attacked.
1: Yeah. So, yeah,
0: when it makes an attack roll is the only time it becomes
1: visible again. So this is going to follow you around as well. And you should um, be able to hear the happening through the air, right? The yeah. As... as air is displaced from a teleportation and not understand why every room that you walk into with the, the door was completely wide open too right and it's it's marble floor but it sounds like you're walking on wood for some reason and nobody figured it out and then suddenly you're like you're in almost a fun house yeah and but it's an abandoned fun house without moving parts <laughs> How do I research. set this up to be a deadly trap without moving parts? Um, the terrain looks like wood, but is cloth, and there's spikes underneath. I okay, don't so need moving parts. Here's
0: the thing. is When it says warp terrain, it means literally change the terrain. As yeah. long as you are not creating moving parts, magical auras, or living organisms. So, like, let's say they're walking into a cave... That floor is marble. It's not wood. Right. It looks like marble.
1: Right. But okay. Yes, you're correct. But I'm sitting here looking at it, going, the trick that this thing would pull on you would be to get you to walk into a. It wants you to fall into a. Let's say a spike pit. Right. It can't use a trap door because moving parts. It can't use a trip wire because that's a moving part but what it can do is put a very thin layer of something that you will break through and it might be just intelligent enough to camouflage it with its ability yeah. to warp the terrain so that's why yeah, i okay. say that's why i said you know it would look like wood and actually be Thin parchment paper or something. It <laughs> might be able if if the Morkoth can teach it that it'll learn how to do that, right? And so
2: <laughs> in our large scenario of the yeah.
1: world, <laughs> but but the Grimlock, the Mind Flayer whatever it is, as a guard dog will teach it these little tricks and traps. But you've got to be aware of the limitations. Not being able to have moving parts is such an issue. And what is a magical aura like? I I, I know what that means, but like. Does that mean other magic? Like, can I make something just glow? Because that's just sure. an illusion magic. It's not a magical aura the way that a paladin has a magical aura. Can I make I light s- sources? I assume yes. I want to say I want to say yes, but I, I would mean, say yeah.
0: yeah. Leave it up to the DM. I mean, fuck man.
2: Yeah, I would say yeah. I feel like you can make a, a torch on the wall glow, right? Like, so yeah, why it's not
0: non living material? That's the only requirement. So, yeah. I mean. I a think fire is a non-living material and oil is non-living material yeah uh is oil organic because
1: it's made from no no no. it says non-living Living. material gotcha so, they... so you could have corpses mm-hmm. yeah so... let's get
2: into let's get into combat ideas because okay. i feel like that's yep. where we are right now yeah but i feel like adam you're on a train of thought so you could start with combat ideas so i feel like that's where you're going with this <laughs>
1: Um, uh, like I said, this thing's an ambusher, right? And, and I want it to, because it, (laughs) because it can warp the terrain. (laughs) Can you imagine this thing doesn't have eyes, so it doesn't need to like look at you from around the corner. It just needs to know that you're where you are within, within 500 feet. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it's, but it wants to be close enough to get you, which means that as you're moving through the space, it is teleporting to the next place it thinks you're going to go. Have you ever tried to predict the direction that a fucking player goes? Even with no. the red herring, they will go the opposite goddamn direction. 100%. So what, <laughs> what I'm going to do with the Bahanath is I'm going to have it get frustrated and eventually just drop to the. You may not get to the end of this warped terrain. Um, also, the layer action, um, it can't take the layer action uh, two rounds in a row. So, warped terrain um, goes. Also, warped terrain takes 10 minutes. Right, it's, it's not like, an yeah. instantaneous thing. It's,
2: it would have to. It's like prepping for you. It, it's but, like, but, it's,
1: but the moment that you use the teleport or vanish layer action, then it drops the warp terrain. So you have to use your legendary actions to do them. N- mm-hmm. No, no, no,
0: mm-hmm. uh, the warp terrain action lasts until the Belhanoth
1: dies or takes this layer action again. Oh, this layer action again. Not it's very
2: to... yeah, specifically the same one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Interesting. Okay, so you can follow it around like a fucking haunted Luigi's Mansion.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. I'm going to, I'm absolutely 100% going to get you as deep into this thing as possible. Yeah. And it has allies, right? I'd say so. No, uh, uh, I'm going to say I mean, no, no. No, no, By because... allies, I mean the mind flayers, the grimlocks, the things you yeah. living with, right? Like, yeah. Okay, like, yeah.
2: In in our instance, the Morkoth. Yeah. <laughs>
1: um, but can you imagine? Um, it drops the the warp terrain and everything goes back to normal, and you find yourself surrounded by intellect devourers because it's a mind player oh. controlling this thing.
2: How fun! How fun would that be for everybody involved?
1: <laughs> I have used a swarm of intellect devourers twice, and both times ended up in a character death, and I am so happy about it. And I would. Yeah, love it. of course, um, of course, I hate so. it. So that's my big thing. Is uh, I'm going to prep this guy uh, for the explorer for the exploratory side of things. I want to do my homework ahead of time to see what false things I can set up to make everything seem just a little bit weird. But my combat is ambush. It's got to yeah. be an ambush, right? You drop the illusion and fucking hit. Right? Yeah, whatever it is, you you pop into visibility or you drop the warp terrain, or your your allies just come out of the woodwork of somewhere that they shouldn't be able to come out of right yeah um yeah like there would be a door that would be you know clearly to a, to a lavatory however there's a giant guard room behind there full of fucking kobolds right <laughs> like what whatever it is because again it can control the terrain to but that means it can do red herrings if someone will teach it
2: yeah yeah well my only like additive combat idea was very simple where it would just use the ability to when it does panic and wants to go after your folks it's going to grapple someone and then make itself invisible to everybody else around it. Yeah. Like, but like the person that you're grappling could definitely see and feel it it's being grappled, but you're, it's, a, you make yourself invisible to everybody else around it. So they have disadvantage to hit you until you strangle this person to death, basically, or escape that- with them.
1: <laughs> wasn't that a really creepy episode of buffy where there was some creature living in the ground that would like willow was getting her stomach flayed but nobody else could see it they could just see the like her stomach getting ripped apart slowly. yeah
2: yeah very That's much so fun. yeah
1: that was a deep dive for me too
2: i like it what about you kyle any final thoughts on combat for these guys
1: uh, okay so yeah
0: i know exactly how i'd use these guys um For any cocky spellcaster or rogue that just likes to never put themselves in mortal danger, right? So let's say you have their warp terrain as being like a cave entrance. This thing has 500 feet of blindsight. It doesn't need to have like line of sight. It knows exactly how big your party is and where they are. And I mean, like any party, they're going to have the weakest characters at the back. So this thing is going to wait Until they all funnel into the cave. And then, as soon as they're all inside, this guy is going to grab the last of them, right? And he's going to be on the wall above the door. So, unless your fighter and barbarian has like ranged attack, they're not going to be able to do shit. And then it's just going to grab that person, warp away to like on the ceiling above, and then try to like eat whoever they have, and then just make themselves invisible
1: to the most dangerous creature in your party. Mm -hmm. Oh my God, Kyle, you just ran across it with the warp terrain and and you're like the invisible and all that shit. Warp terrain, you let them walk into the lair. It's just a series of caverns, whatever. But the moment that the party gets separated, you warp the terrain to make walls between them. Oh yeah. You know, you You don't need to see them. You can sit in a central chamber and know where everyone on the map is as you scooby doo this shit and separate them all out going invisible and fucking attacking them one at a time. Yes. Yeah.
0: And you don't even need line of sight
1: for where you're teleporting to. Yeah. Yeah, this this here just became your boogeyman scenario for a level 18 party. Because it occurs to me that True Sight is not going to get past this warped terrain. Because it literally warps reality. It doesn't just put up an illusion.
2: What a fun Halloween episode Haunted House Monster to make.
1: Well, I mean, yes. Everybody roll up a level 19 character. I'm going to eat three of you.
2: (laughs) What a great time. (laughs) Adam,
0: you're going to have to delay the release of this episode until after Halloween next year, I'm afraid. Thanks.
2: Okay, thanks. Bye. (laughs)
1: Well, I damn well know that I can tell you who on the podcast won't listen to this. Does somebody want to run this scenario for, let's say, Terry, Dave, and James? I know they won't fucking listen to this.
2: 100%. Halloween episode. All of the
1: above. Yeah, right?
2: <laughs> all the listeners are going to be waiting for a new, like, special Halloween episode where we three, as the DMs, run a ha- haunted Halloween as the abolis. the Warcock... <laughs> <laughs> the- 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 <laughs> And the balling
1: off. (laughs) That's more than a one shot. That is a Halloween campaign. We're
2: going to kill some people and I love that.
1: In the game.
4: In the game.
2: Sorry. Yes. In game. All right. So before we wrap up this episode, let's cut to our last ad break.
4: If you've been inspired by the conversation in this episode, please feel free to reach out and share your creativity and ideas with us and the rest of the community. You can reach us on Facebook and Instagram or on our subreddit r slash it's a mimic also, if you're feeling particularly generous, please follow and subscribe and leave us positive reviews, likes, and comments. Engagement like that helps us pop up on search engines and keep the show running.
1: Um, so do you guys have a favorite of the Tentacle guys that we talked about? Tentacles, by the way, is going to be the name of my fucking mind flayer character, the next Ten- like the superhero. No. Tentacles.
0: Tentacles, Tentacles is
1: the, the triumvirate
0: of uh, yeah. the tentacled monsters. <laughs>
1: oh, my God. you guys have a favorite?
2: Uh, I would say the Morkoth is my favorite for a nice big bad evil guy, but I am loving the Balthanoth as just like your like random encounter annoyance to have to deal with kind of thing, right? But I don't know.
1: I'm all over the Avalith right. still. The Avalith is a campaign for me. The Morkoth is a lieutenant or a distraction for a couple of sessions. Yeah. The Balthanoth is a really cool set piece but the abalith the abalith hates the gods that's a campaign for me
2: yeah you you like a good like you know morality bender kind of nonsense and i feel like that's what an abalith would do for you yep love that for you <laughs> uh
0: yeah i okay i am also really against the gods but i think morkoth just has a little more flavor to it and it's mm-hmm. a little more a little more varied and I think it would make a great reoccurring NPC, right? Because it doesn't, the other two are enemies and they, they're they kind of strictly and only enemies. Whereas the Morkoth is a little more nuanced and sort of in terms of its...
2: You can go uh, either way with it. You can, you can either yeah. be an evil thing or it can just be like a weird bartering person that you see every once in a while. Like Yeah, right?
0: And it's just like, it's so fucking out there. And just like it doesn't fit into any world,
2: but can because where it lives can go anywhere, right? So yeah. I think that that's the versatility that a lot of DMs are looking for: is what is a weird thing I can plunk into my campaign without it being too offshoot. And like as offshoot as this thing is, lore wise, it could potentially do exactly what it is that you're telling it to do.
1: Like, the, yeah. the other thing I want to say though is, while well, I think the Avalith has more story potential and can be an NPC, if it's got an eternity to scheme and to set things in motion it may not just be out for the kill or for the immediate gratification so it could be an npc but every seasoned player is going to hear about the aquatic tentacle monster with mind control shit and think aboleth and prepare for aboleth and find a morkoth and be like what the fuck just happened
2: what even is this yeah yeah
1: and that's why i like the morkoth that much more um i'm probably more likely to use a uh, Morcoth, um, if I get a proper mini for it. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I have an Abellus. I yeah. don't have the other two, and, mm. and I'm eager to to get them. Of course, you of are. Bodily. Yeah, I actually well, think the Morcoth would make the coolest
0: mini out of all of them too. Because it's yeah, well, that shit on their back. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Okay, everybody. So that's all for our, this discussion on aberrations in Fifth Edition. Make sure you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we have for you in the future. Next week, we'll be starting off a conversation that's long overdue on this podcast,
2: Feats. Feets? How exciting.
1: We don't kink shame. We're getting into feats. Yeah, not F-E-E-T, by the way. Feets. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, a store with some awesome It's a Mimic merch, and a Patreon. This episode and others can also be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and most other podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get.
4: This has been an It's a Mimic production. Please check the show notes for this episode to see links, time codes, and credits, and don't forget to reach out and share your own inspirations.
2: Yay, we did it!
1: We did it. That was like a three-hour episode. Wow!
2: (laughs) I was not expecting that.
1: (laughs) No, not for this. But they're all badass set pieces, right?
2: They're a lot more interesting than I thought they were going to be, to be honest with you.
1: Yeah. Uh Also, it helps when Kyle and I argue about layers for 20 minutes in the middle of an episode.
2: I was like, come on, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Dan's middle name, and I'm not going to, out it because I'm I am gonna put this on the end of the episode but his middle name is the same first name as one of our regular mailbag um people that kept asking questions for years and mm. every time we would get a question I'd be like is
3: this Dan is this Dan
1: until Dan st- started to get like angry about these questions we would stop recording and he'd be like who the fuck even asked that it's in the goddamn fucking and he would just go off and be like okay All right. <laughs> probably not Dan
2: no, maybe he does ask them for himself so that he can get angry at himself. <laughs> he just needs to let out some rage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So okay. we are going to be talking about. S- sorry, three- can we just. Yeah. What do you need? Pause what do you need, I,
0: Kyle? I, I, I just realized that uh, the microphone is not what it's supposed to be. So I just want to
2: oh, okay,
0: figure it out.
2: Well, we're not doing that intro
1: again. <clears throat> what do you mean it's not what it's supposed to be?
0: Well, so I've got like uh, Bluetooth headphones, and then I also have a microphone. And they, both the microphone and speakers are my headphones right now.
1: Uh, it sounds really good, though. Yeah, okay. Mom. That's weird. After we just... Fiddle with it do you want to try the other one yeah yeah i mean at the very least we can just put it back right true mm-hmm. how do i find uh, it
2: if you go into your like where you can mute yourself in zoom if you click the arrow it'll give you an array of whatever microphones you have available to you for a select microphone
0: oh okay how is that one
2: it's a little louder that's what that is talk a little bit more
1: uh da-da-da-da.
2: That does sound clear for me. I don't know if that sounds clear for Adam.
1: I can't I can't hear. Keep talking.
2: Kyle say things. Every right time
1: now. we ask Kyle to say something, uh, quiet. So. Yeah, <laughs> I
0: am saying all the things. A lot of things.
1: It's really bassy, but I wonder if that's just my subwoofer. That might just be on my end. Okay. It's clear, clear. for it's clear. It does people.
2: sound clear for me. Yeah. All
1: right. Is well, it going down or No, no, no. I'll just leave it as is. If Megan likes it. We're good. Okay. <laughs> hey. Yo. uh...
2: Can I put that on a bumper sticker? If Megan likes it, we're okay. (laughs) (laughs) Again, I don't need this kind of power, but thank you. Um,
1: Need and want are two different things, Megan.
2: Hey, man, if I could control minds.
1: Okay, see you next time.